It's actually very funny because I think people would find me more annoying if I didn't have female co-hosts. Like we're social animals. So when somebody does something, we kind of do that as well. And so like when you or Katie laugh at it, it's immediately like, okay, I'm not supposed to take this seriously. Yeah. Whereas if it was just me, it would be kind of weird and creepy. There's so many things you say that if was not if it was not tempered by Katie and I, oh man. Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast, Unresolved Textual Tension. It is me, your host, Maria, with my ruggedly handsome co-host, William. Ooh, and so I am in a new location than I normally am. You can see because it's actually well organized instead of my background. Um, my nephew's in town, so I'm at my aunt's house actually right now. Um, so His I nephew is this different background. His nephew is going to make a sneak appearance, but it uh, didn't happen. Yeah, he is off somewhere else. You um, will have to be satisfied with Data <laughs> looking like a puddle. <laughs> Data, <laughs> come here. Nope. Oh, and look, surprise guest appearance from Pumpkin. That's it. Those and that's it. actually a good transition because we're going to be talking about a book with a lot of animals in it. Um, and what is that book, Maria? The Scorpio Races by, I have completely forgotten. Maggie Siafater. Look at us. We knew an author. We'll, we'll do an author. Because uh, her name is very weird in Norwegian. So like I was trying to actually get the name correct. Um, and this book was one that had been suggested on um, our Patreon poll for the end of the book month. Um, and it didn't win, but I'd actually been wanting to read it for a while because I started reading it like three or four years ago and I got about a fourth of the way through and it was so good but i just didn't finish it so i'd had it on our list for a while and um i'm glad we got there me too i am also really glad that i finished it a couple of days ago i enjoyed it so much at the end that i think if i would have finished it right before the recording i would have been vastly less critical than i am right now because i've been able to like Ooh. now that the the high has like come down because like listen I enjoyed the crap out of this book. It's the first book in a long time that has made me want to read fan fiction. <laughs> um, and But there are some things that I think could have been done better that had you spoken to me two days ago, I would have been like, no, it's perfect. <laughs> Little angel baby. This may be an interesting um, contrast then because I, I really... Maria may be the more critical of the two of us coming mm. into this. And that'd be an interesting role reversal. I, I won't be. I'm going to say something and Will is going to go, you're absolutely correct. That is a very valid critique. And I'll go, <laughs> that, I know. Thank you. Um, <laughs> that always happens. <laughs> watch, like the Dune or the Warhammer uh, video. I'm like, yeah, that's a fair point. I'm on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uncritical. I can't argue. <laughs> um okay yeah no so um overall i really really love this book again i really want to read other stuff by the author now she has a couple of mm -hmm. other books i went in thinking this was going to be um a little bit more emotionally overwrought than it was and instead it was actually really grounded and really well put together um do you want to say what the synopsis before we give our overall impressions so this book is set on a tiny little island called Thisby, and Thisby has water horses, the Kapalishka, which are these like aquatic horses who eat meat. And, carnivorous. And they're carnivorous, and they are terrifying, but majestic and beautiful. And every year on Thisby, 
uh, in the month of November, even though it's fucking freezing, <laughs> they have a Kapil Ishka horse race on the beach. Um, and uh, the it's got the world has a nice mythos surrounding the Kapil Ishka and the relationship with the island. And we have our two main characters, Sean Kendrick, who is initially you might think he's going to be dark, brooding, bad boy, uh, but he's not. He's more like socially awkward. Um, <laughs> horse guy <laughs> um who's who's really quiet uh and and um and then uh puck conley or kate conley who is our female protagonist who they're both they're they both enter the race to to prove something and to get something and improve their lives and that that's the basic premise it, it's such a well put together book it was, i was thinking of it as i was um coming here in that like a lot of books you read and you're like, okay, the author is trying to fit all these jigsaws together and sometimes they get it and sometimes the, the pieces are a little bit loose. But like this book knows what it wants to do from the beginning and it gets there from the beginning to the end. Each of the pieces is really well put together. I'll make an argument about how the chapters work. The, the way she uses the viewpoints, switching back and forth is actually really effective in a way that I don't think a lot of the books we've read have been. I would um, say it's one of the most effective usages of mm -hmm. multiple viewpoints that we have ever read outside of My Dear Novik and Spinning Silver. Well, okay. No, I mean, and My Dear A Song of Ice and Fire. But um, let's take a shot, guys. Um, this is, by the way, one of our Patreon live streams. It's a mid-month book. Um, so this one me and Maria pick. But our end-of-month book is one that um, everybody else gets to pick. For this month, it's Nettle and Bone, which also people have been liking. I haven't started it yet, but I'm, I'm so excited. Glad. It looks like just a chill read. Yeah, me and Maria, you guys haven't seen the videos, but we're so tired from mediocre books. So, uh, yeah. And actually, it, this one book really reminded me of one that we probably won't release the video for for a while called Lore, which is about, like, a secret world greek god death competition um and this book is in a lot of ways everything i wanted from that book in terms of the world building because i was very disappointed in that book that it was a secret world because then it's essentially our world but just with this like underground element whereas i really wanted to see how that would affect the world and in this book there's like one weird thing like in that book the the kapalishka but like there's so many ways they integrate into the world in a really smart, interesting way. Like if this had been a secret horse race underground society, that would not have been as interesting. As, as good. Um, the other thing I think this book does really well, something that you guys have known because I've complained about it a lot lately is I am really so tired of books doing too many things and cramming too much in one book, especially like, I don't know why series uh, are so like prone to this prone to this um like i think the one of the only one shots we read that did this was priory of the orange tree which again in retrospect i looked back on much more fondly than i did at the time um there's one but, element of it i look back on very fondly over I time know, obviously uh, I don't. I know. um but this book has a tight scope it knows the story it's telling. It's around a specific thing and it just tells the shit out of it, you know? Um, it And the thing is, it's one of those things where if you don't like the fundamental conceit, because there's not 900 other things happening, you're not gonna... It's like uh, in Mask of Mirrors, some people disliked one of the point of view characters, but there was like four others. And as long as you like those four others, you could deal with that one not working. Um, 
But in this book, if you are not here for like two people bonding with horses and getting <laughs> to know each other, um, like this ain't for you. Like that's this um, something some people said on the, the discord too, is they're like, I'm not a horse person. And like, I don't think you really need to be a horse person to like this book, but um, it's like, yeah, no, if you're not into the main conceit, it's not, it's not really for you. It reminded me a little bit of Sabriel in that, like, it's a book that kind of exercised everything that wasn't core to the story. And so in certain ways I find it hard to critique because it is just the book it wants to be completely. Um, Angry Otter said, I do really appreciate that Scorpio Race is a standalone tight story. Yeah, if there had been 900 sequels, this would not have been good. Again, I'm with Maria. I would love to read a 70K um, uh, fanfic of what happens afterwards. Even though oh I didn't ship God. it, I think it's Maria did. I but shipped like... it so fucking hard, man. <laughs> and then uh, Pearl NH says, plot, theme, and characters of Scorpio Races were drum tight. Yeah, exactly. It was just like it... it it's interesting because she just knew exactly what she wanted to do and was able to do that. There's a few elements that I feel like could have been given a little bit more nuance, but again, I was very surprised by how naturalistic and non uh, overly emotional this book was really. Um, when I thought going in, it was going to be like, you know, UST bitchy hot boy and girl and like, you know, sassy main character. Right. And uh the main character actually is sassy is the funny thing, but like nobody else thinks she's that funny. So it yeah, helps. she's like tempestuous. And they're also for me, I some uh I, f I forgot who it was, but someone had mentioned in the Discord that they thought the main characters, like the point of view sounded very similar. And for me, one of the things that I thought was done really well is that in Puck's point of view, there was a lot of these like funny lines that she she like, there was one where it was like, she was suffering because she'd only gotten uh, three hours of sleep. And then her sister was suffering because she got more than three. Like, and she sets up these weird where like the first part of the sentence reads fine. But then by the time you get to the second part of the sentence, it made the first part funny. And she does that all the time in uh, Puck's, narration and you really get a sense uh for puck's humor and i really enjoyed it um i think the other book. thing is that like they both have a sides in their thoughts mm -hmm. um but puck i felt like had a few more and also hers tended to be funnier mm -hmm. um than sean's where like he's thinking about something tragic in his past and she's like thinking about this time she yelled at another kid or something like yeah that. <laughs> um which i really liked um let's see oh angry otter said I had bad experiences horses when I was a kid, so horses eating people was totally believable to me. Okay, so story time. Um, I worked at a stable when I was younger, um, and it was for, they would take like special needs children on the horses and do stuff, so it was like a charity, and that meant that a lot of the horses they had were not great, like they're not your cream of the crop horses. Um, and so yeah, I have a lot of horror stories, horror stories of horses too, that like there was one who hated blondes and would charge the end of the stable and bounce into it if a blonde passed by. Yeah. Horses are absolutely fucking terrifying. They're huge and they have like these cinder block teeth that clack together. Like if you ever see them eat an apple, they'll just like, they'll just they'll explode it. Um, they're very temperamental. They're not... Um, bicycles which is a pain um so yeah horses terrifying and i love in this did book, anyone just... did anyone want horses to be bicycles i would love horses to be bicycles 
I would, I would love that if bicycles make so much more sense than horses. Um, I don't, you know, the, the strange majesty of a horse is great in literature and then in real life, they stink and they poop a lot and it's gross and they're also huge. And if they step on your foot, it really hurts. Um, uh, we have some funny comments about yeah. the, the sassiness of Puck. Uh, I like, uh, so I says, I liked that she tried very hard to be sassy. Uh, Miss Ali so said uh, it didn't have that dramatic YA feeling, which I appreciated. Um, and then Angry Otter said, I liked how she acknowledged when she couldn't come <laughs> up with something sassy and kept her mouth shut. Um, uh, or when other people did something cool and she's like, I'm going to do that later. Like she just felt very organic uh, to. <laughs> I just saw a really funny comment. Sorry. But bicycles, so bicycles eating, eating people, people isn't, people as, isn't dramatic. as dramatic. Fair point. Fair point. Um, right. You know, again, from a literary point of view, there's a horror mo movie moment in this one with a, a black horse that's going after them. That's like so cool and dramatic. Um, but as a bicycle, that would also be pretty funny. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I did like how the horses were treated in this book overall, though. I thought that was really... Interesting. And again, as a metaphor for like the sea, both powerful and dangerous, but also entrancing, I thought it worked really well. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, so, oh yeah. And then going back to Puck, I think the thing about it is that the author wasn't overly enamored with the character. So the character is allowed to be kind of shit at times and yep. things. And so it's not like a, a Mary Sue situation where you automatically, or at least I automatically am like, I don't, I'm contrary. I don't like that the author's making me like this character. She understands that Puck is kind of a dork in certain yep. ways at certain times. And that she's not like, naturally just good at any one thing like she cooks but she's not necessarily the greatest cook like she's she's has a really good bond with her 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 horse stuff but it's only through like training that she actually gets like semi-decent it just the characters the main characters were really good a couple of people had made the comment that the side characters were fumbled a bit and i will agree with that there were a couple characters i enjoyed and then there was like a weird side character plot that just like didn't, didn't go finish anywhere. like it didn't I, w I really was hoping it would like tie and not partially because i was like that's kind of cute but it didn't go anywhere um and it was barely there if i'm thinking of the same one as you like i was like oh that's interesting and then just no like it was just like yeah. okay yeah, we're probably thinking about the same thing because it's it's just the only side plot that gets mentioned that goes absolutely nowhere yeah. peggy and gabe no. <laughs> Messing with you. He has. <laughs> oh my God, I have guys. Theories about Gabe that we'll get into as the book, as this video goes on. Gabe wanting to leave because his parents were br brutally murdered by Kapil Ishka that the island, like, uh, reveres and fears and not wanting to be in this space anymore was not enough of a reason for Will for Gabe wanting to leave the island. He was like, was he having an affair with Peggy? Did he get a girl pregnant? Is he gay? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure. It, yes, uh, Miss Ali Snow, it was George and Annie Maud. Uh, the one that I was talking about. But no, I think Gabe just wanted to leave Will. I don't think there was a secret conspiracy the author was hiding from us. Okay, here's the thing. I understand you have a master's, but you have to understand that sometimes in literature, authors are doing things beneath the surface of the plot and the characters. So they're trying to talk about deeper themes and hint at things without just telling you in a list. You form. sound like a conspiracy <laughs> theorist. My God. Uh, 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 I'm, it's the deep state. <laughs> um, 
Uh, someone said, uh, why, why would he leave if he has that hot MILF? Exactly. Fair also point. not founded. Uh, and then, as Jesse says, Gabe wanted the fuck out. That's it. Um, ooh, Angry Otter, though, does say I caught Thank the affair vibe. That's I what I'm not. saying. Um, uh. And then, uh, Echo Blade, you're Zeta, right? Like, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Dory and Peg were the only side characters who were really meaningful to me. The American Holly was weird. Gabe and his situation was a little more core to Puck's story. Um, and then uh, Celia says, no, it's such a good reason. I've been living abroad for years now, and I could connect to Gabe so much. He just wanted out. He wanted a different life. It's a tiny island. His family's not even from there. Like, calm down, Will, with your conspiracy theorists. Uh, look, I'm just saying, thematically, I think there's more going on than you're giving uh, the author credit for. Um, I loved Holly as a character, but the thing with Annie just didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, which is too bad. Like I, the book ends sort of abruptly, um, which we we'll talk about the staccato tone of it um, more. But uh, the curtains are fucking blue. Will <laughs> not if you're colorblind. So that's ableism going on there, guys. Not pretty. Um, but let's go. <laughs> um, but I'm gonna put you on main screen so we can jump into the plot. And also because I'm gonna drink something, I don't want to take up sound space. There you go. I guess. Um, okay, so this book starts with a flashback to a young Sean Kendrick at the start of a Scorpio race, a Scorpio race when he was 10. His dad was going to race on this beautiful, uh, and at the time you're like, what's so scary about these horses? Because you don't know nothing about them. Um, and uh, the uh, his dad's going to ride on this beautiful red blood-colored uh, stallion and you're like okay a horse race and then like the young Sean Kendrick is like don't eat my dad and you're like why are you telling the horse not to eat your dad that's kind of weird my guy um, and then you realize these are carnivore horses <laughs> that live in the sea sometimes <laughs> and, um, I have to say this premise could have been really dumb you know like it could have in, in the wrong hands this could have been fucking hysterical uh, yeah it's, it's true not. Yeah, it's not. It's terrifying. And the author puts in the work to make it feel that way. And part of it is that the world is very grounded and that element is integrated really, really well. But yeah, it's a ridiculous idea to begin with. And it's so unique, but I, I do love it. Seahorses. Anyway, um, <laughs> and the race starts and his dad kind of almost immediately gets uh, bumped off of his seat and then just gets trampled by a bunch of the Kapolishka. And, but the stall the red stallion listened and didn't eat his dad. Oh, good. Good to know. Uh, and then we have a jump <laughs> <laughs> like seven years into the future. Uh, maybe how old are they? I, I want to like 19, 19, 19, nine years yeah. into the future. And we are presented with uh, our two main characters, Puck Conley, a.k.a. Kate Conley, Sean Kendrick. Sean, since the death of his father, has been working at the... Um, Stables. Benjamin Mulvin, Mulvane. Mulvane? The one rich guy in town. Yeah, Mulvane. Uh, really quickly, uh, though, um, Angry Otter said it has magical realism vibes. Like, that. this is just how it is. How it is, yep. That... And one thing that the book does really well, again, is it integrates the small details into the world. But the other thing that helps is the actual 
where she puts it and that not that these are like dumb hicks but like this is an island where this has just always been this they're not like oh what's the biology of how this works it makes sense that they wouldn't necessarily know these things in the same way that a normal person doesn't really know how a car engine works it just works like there's an extent to which these aren't people in uh you know a university where you would have to give an example of it like this is an isolated town where they just don't care about the scientific part of that they do not um but yeah, he works at the Mulvern. Uh, thank you, uh, Zeta, for spelling that out for me. Uh, stable yard, uh, and he is kind of like the head horse guy. Uh, he's in charge of like, like he makes sure when the, the horses are born, they're taken care of. He raises them. He, uh, he's a horse wunderkind. Yes, and he he's is, like the only one who can handle the death horses at times. Yes. So he not only, uh, this stable not only has like normal, really good racy horses, but it also has Kapolishka, which are the bitey, bitey uh, seahorses. Um, and they're, they currently have three and it's getting close to the race. He knows he's going to race, um, but him and uh, Benjamin Malvern, who's his boss's son, don't get along well because Sean is real good at horse stuff, which his dad appreciates. Um, but Mutt is just a useless potato. And <laughs> I liked, uh, cause Mutt could have been a really dumb character at certain points. And, and he was for the most part, he's just like the bully character, but you understood the absolute frustration and this rivalry that had been brewing. Like Mutt is just not as good as Sean. So I think Mutt is saved by how good the rest of the book is and how mm -hmm. real the book feels. But he's very much to me the part of the book that he, he's a blunt instrument and he's the part of the book to me that felt the le least real. Like it very much feels like, oh, this is Draco Malfoy, but with horses. And like the reason he doesn't like the main character is because the main character is good at things, which as a motivation, like I felt like more could have been done with him. But yes, at the same time, it's not exactly a problem that nothing is done with him. Um, he's he's an antagonistic force for really well sketched and drawn characters. There's um, <clears throat> a couple of comments. Miss Ali Snow says that prologue was actually an interesting microcosm of the book as a whole. It's a slow burn, then death, and then the end. And, um, and then Zeta says. <clears throat> There's an author's note at the end of the audiobook where the author notes how it took her a long time to really figure out how to write the story and not too bizarrely magical. That's actually really interesting. We we listened to the audiobook, which I will make a comment about at the end of the, the book. Um, that, but that actually would have been really interesting to read. She um, actually did a, made a little book trailer for the book that you should look up. Um, that's pretty cool that I saw. And then Shelby says, the horror around the horses worked so well, but it could have been hilarious if they went more of a Jurassic Park route. Yeah, that's funny, but like, kind of like Jurassic Park when we actually read the book, there is such a sense of dread. Like, there was such a sense of dread around the Velociraptors and how well that's set up. That's mm -hmm. almost set up the same way with the Kapolishka. Um, and Ooh. then... Uh, ba, ba, ba. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking through these. Uh, I got the sense the island was just one of the Kapil Ishka's favorite stomping grounds, which didn't really need more justification than that. Very. Uh, I got the sense, yeah. like, in my head canon that, yeah, this is the area that they live in. They're almost like a, a very, not an endangered species, but they're not one that spreads out. Yes. Um, I took it as, like, they migrate because it's this time of year. Oh, yeah, because it's specifically this is the time of year, this September, because there's a point where she's talking to that one guy who's kind of into her. Um, that it, There's those twin brothers who are fishermen. 
Um, and she, uh, she's like, uh, you got to be brave to uh, fish in the September sea because that's when the Kapalishka come. Like, this is their season. Um, but something I wanted to highlight, uh, Miss Allie Snow says, the more I read, the more I disliked Benjamin more than Mutt, which I think is super valid. And uh, Pearl has a good comment. Mutt's daddy's issues could have been highlighted more. I think if we could have seen more interaction between Mutt and Benjamin, it would have helped humanize mutt a bit more instead of him just being like playground bully or even um, if he like was nice to his friends like they saw you know like he's the thing is you only even bullies are like have friends and nice moments and i think that would have helped a lot if it was just very clear that like okay it's sean he has a problem with yeah yeah his dad def provoked his worst nature intentionally um and then Angry Otter also had one. He says, Holly has a discussion with Sean about why they have water horses and no one else does. And it does a good job of characterizing the setting. The island has a special connection, connection to the murder to the horses. Murder. One of the little, it, it's really small, but it's mentioned at one point that the horses, you can't take them from the island. And like that I liked because it's like, oh yeah, the government would have rules about a species like this in terms of it being. So it gives the sense that like, oh, there is people who try to understand them and there is all this other stuff that's happening outside, but these characters, it's not important. I'm sorry, okay. guys. I, I'm not What are we looking at? Cat cam? <laughs> well, he's, wait, let me see if I can get he's, I was gonna say, he's just a black silhouette. Oh God. Okay. He's, all right. He's sorry. There he is. He's lying with his little like his eyes are underneath. That's the bottom of his say, jaw. Yeah, I was gonna say he's he's turned up. He's so cute. He's so cute. I like data despite his like ridiculousness. Um, but yeah, and so that's pretty much Sean. Uh getting back to the to the yes. recap a little bit. That's Sean. Um, one of the other things I really liked about his character is that he's not bitchy hot boy which is like my least favorite character archetype and i really thought going in he was going to be and he's not he's very quiet and the thing that's interesting is that um in my own writing i tend to like to write really quiet characters but i learned early on it's very hard to characterize characters who just don't talk or engage with other people like it's very hard to do but she really nails it he doesn't say a lot and yet you really immediately get a sense for his character and like who he is. And he's got like a very, I don't wanna say staccato way of speaking, but he says the thing he means to say immediately and there's no beating around the bush. And when he does say something, it's because he actually means it versus Puck who will sometimes talk a lot trying to get to the point of what she's thinking or she'll like, she won't know exactly what she's trying to communicate but she's gonna talk through it. Or she has a feeling that she's uncomfortable with, so she says something to, yep. to yeah, she sort of externalizes it that way, whereas he just doesn't say things. And it's it's so interesting, because, like, from his point of view initially, you're like, ooh, maybe he's a broody bad boy. And then you see him from Puck's point of view, and you're just like, oh, no, this guy just doesn't talk. There's this one point where she was like, if you want to find Sean Kendrick, look for someone standing slightly apart from everyone else, but who is still able to observe shit. And that's that'll be him. And it really... Um, works i mm -hmm. i think sean is a very difficult character to pull off like will said and so much so and yet she she nails it from like the word go i want to do like a close reading of the first couple of chapters to really see how mm -hmm. she nails it um but then so our other main character is puck who is um redheaded freckled um feisty girl essentially i felt like she was a little bit too much not an author insert but like 
a reader insert at times. Like she ended up being a little bit more of a reader insert than Sean ended up being a bad boy. I felt like, but at the same time, that's fine. It's just, it's a character archetype. See, I didn't get that. I thought she had a very concrete, she reminded me of Agnieszka. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Agnieszka is also kind of that character where they're yeah, just like, she, like headstrong. They're but they're also happy with their little lives. They like their village. They, they like th that's where they want to be. They like their life, and and they w will work towards the betterment of themselves. But like that's the sum total of their like grand ideals. Um, and so she definitely gave me Agnieszka vibes. Um, and she's also just very endearing at times. Um, especially her relationship with her brothers is so great because what happens is that. She is part of the family called, oh, uh, what is it? The McConnellys? The, the Connellys. It's just the Connellys. I couldn't, uh, whatever. Um, and they um, are kind of like, they're, they hold themselves back a little bit from the rest of the island. But her mother and father died. They got eaten by Kapolishka. Um, I don't remember how much earlier in the year. Right? It was like, was it a year or was it like three? I don't remember. Three years. It's been a couple years, yeah. And so she lives with her brother, Finn, who is younger than her, and um, Gabe. And Finn is a, just a fun character throughout the entire book. He like, He's so funny because he doesn't like to talk about certain things. So like, he doesn't like compliments, and he likes to work on cars. And she was like, oh, and then she mentioned that somebody found him cute. And she's like, oh, I forgot that was one of the topics he doesn't like to talk about is him and the other gender. Um, and like, it's just very cute. Also, I think... Um, yeah, the, uh, Oh, you're Alex, right. My OCD boy. Oh, I'm dumb. That's what that's about. And, and also he might've been, uh, ASD on the spectrum. I read him cause he has his like, uh, routines. She talks about, he likes his routine. So either OCD, but he's definitely neurodivergent. Um, I read him as, and I fucking loved him because he's competent. He's fun he's he's just chilling he's just existing you know like we deal with a lot of like not great neurodivergent representation in the books we've read and he was just such a fantastic like character that i was like i'm pretty sure he's neurodivergent and then it loops around to being important yeah because what happened is that valerie had said my OCD boy. And so there's a point where they mentioned that he's wa he washes his hands for a really long time. And I was like, at the time, I didn't really think anything of it. But yeah, that actually might have been an OCD thing. And I just didn't yep. catch it. And when he was anxious, he just literally cleaned the whole house. And he has oh, his routines. Right. And the way he likes uh, he likes fiddling with things. Uh, and like he just, there were so many things. It, there are certain things you can't talk to him about. Because he doesn't like to broach those topics. Like he doesn't so much of that um it is just like i loved him so much finn is one of my favorite <laughs> parts that that part at the end when he like he 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 starts walking and she's like and he had a strut to his his uh -huh. i was like oh my god yeah. finn you absolute cutie i want to i want to eat you <laughs> um so, yeah, so uh, no, he's a he's a great character go ahead yeah um, a couple of people have some good thoughts. I thought Finn might be on the spectrum, TBH. He can be both uh, OCD and have autism. Uh, but the cleaning the house when he's stressed w about Puck is very relatable. Well, and also I thought that went back to them trying to be their own little family a little bit. Like yep. he was trying to make house because he makes her chocolate at one point, even though he's very bad at it. Bad at it. Uh, Valerie says, my brother and I both have some OCD tendencies and I adored him so much. Uh, 
And then Angry Otter says, how they had to tell him to stop washing his hands. My son is autistic and I have to do that with him. Um, and then Miss Allie Snow points out and he picks at his arms when he's nerf nervous. And then Jesse says he also hyper focuses on machines and mechanics, which is something I also identify with. He just like, it's never outwardly stated that he's neurodivergent, which I think is like the best way to do it. Uh, but he's just so fantastic and fun and lovely. And he feels real like as a character he really does and his really and it helps his relationship with puck especially later in the book i love the scene where he went to sleep in her room and he was like this is not an everyday thing this is just until <laughs> after the race and that was just so nice um They're yeah because so yeah, he has his his rules he's like no it's this and it's that and i have no emotion but it's it's cute because he's a kid or when uh, she said, you know, I have principles. And he was like, how can you change your principles? You said that this was a principle, like that kind of like rigidity. You know, of that thinking. actually also could be yeah, an autistic thing in that they don't like rule changes. But I, I also like that in terms of like, I trusted you and the principle, you can't change a principle. Principles. But um, yeah, so that's her younger brother. Uh, yeah, Angry Otter said the real MVP, Finn. Mwah. Love uh, it. Well, and we'll talk about that towards the end. Um, yeah. But who's the other brother? Gabe, who I do not think is gay, nor was having a, an affair with Peg, uh, uh, Peggy, and uh, who I also just think didn't get a girl pregnant. I, Gabe is their older brother. He uh, okay. Was, I had my phone muted because I didn't want to subject you guys to me drinking from my water bottle. But there absolutely could have been more going on. There could have been, but I don't think it he was. He abandoned I, his siblings. Like, like I like that scene and we he will have there will be blood. He abandoned his siblings. He abandoned his siblings. Not cool. Might be because I'm Hispanic. And so you can never abandon family. But yes. Who but, knows about uh, Irish people. Anyway, uh, Gabe is the eldest. Uh, he has been supporting the family working at uh, like as a, an assistant for for fishing. So he always smells fishy. He works late a lot. Um, and towards the beginning of this book, you get the sense that he has been keeping a bit distance. And, and um, he basically tells them very early on that he is going to be leaving the island. And our main character, Puck, loves the island. She loves the, the mythos of the races, the capital Ishka. She loves the kind of like grittiness of it all. Um, the bleak. It reminded me of like the, I don't remember, whatever those sisters who wrote those books, I'm blanking on all of their names, but like the bleak the, beauty of the Moors they would talk about in, in the Bronte sisters. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's the bleak and you actually see pictures of like those Moors and you're like, that is, it's just majestic and wild and bleak and so gorgeous. And that was the feeling I got too. Yes. Um, and I, he's like, I'm going to the mainland. Like I, I can't, well, hold on. First, some evidence. Angry Otter said, and he's talking about Gabe, he was all whispering in her ear, and Tommy jumped up to keep Puck from going in the kitchen with Gabe and Peg. That's all I'm saying. There's definitely material there. I mean, maybe, but I don't know. Um, Celia says, don't come at me, Will. You will never know the guilt that comes of, uh, with leaving your family to do, some, uh, to do what is best for yourself. Uh, I mean, Absolutely. okay. There's also... That is a complicated topic, but in this situation, I felt like he really was abandoning his siblings when they needed him. Um, but we can get into that more as we go on. I think yes. the book actually handles it in a fairly nuanced way. I agree. 
anyway, so Gabe's going to leave. And this is what prompts uh, Puck because, like, the races are uh, about to start. And Puck, in this moment when Gabe says he's going to leave, she doesn't want him to. She wants him to stay. And he was like, I'm going to leave next week. And then she was like, I'm right. I'm, I'm going to ride in the races. And he's like, no, you're fucking not. And she's like, yes, I am. Watch me fucking do it. Uh, and she says it just to annoy him because he she knows that he would be pissed because their parents were literally brutally murdered by some capital ishka um and then it will also force him to stay until the races are over to you know make sure she's still alive by the end of it and she kind of commits to it that way in the hopes that he'll just say i'm not leaving but what ends up happening is she discovers that gabe has been hiding from them that their parents didn't own their house uh, they've just been living under the assumption that it was just their parents' house. This is where they live. Um, but uh, after she announces her that she's going to race, which a lot of people in the village don't like uh, and try to talk her out of, Benjamin Malvern comes and says, hey, I own this house and nobody's paid rent on it in a year. You guys have to leave unless you can give me the entire amount. And uh, Puck's like, oh, God, not only do I now have to do the races because I said I would to Gabe, but now I, I kind of have to win because how else are we going to keep this house? And so she's uh, working off of the, like her, her, like she said she was going to do this thing to spite her brother. And, but she also somehow she wants this to make him stay, but now she also kind of financially needs to. And it's just such a good, cause she says it as a tempestuous, like teenager. You know, she's like, yeah, I'm she, gonna ride in the races. Like, she kind of blurts things when she has emotion. Things like when the kettle over pots or the pot over kettles or whatever, Maria would know the thing because she knows about food. Um, like when that starts to happen, she says something almost to take the stress off of mm -hmm. it to put down the heat. And in that case, she was just there, okay. So there's some actually interesting discussion in in the um. Co uh, comments. Yes. Uh, Existential Screaming says Gabe was going to send money back too, right? Yeah. Um, and the thing about it is that that's not stated till really late and Gabe doesn't state it. He never is like, hey guys, I gotta leave and I'll send you money back. That's I mean, stated he does, really he late does, in the yeah. it's stated really late in the book. It's not stated as a reason for him to leave. I would have liked more if that was the reason he told them and then later it came out that he just um, uh, as a, oh, who put it this way? Oh, I'm an older sibling and I probably would have wanted to leave Evil Horse Island too, but I'm still mad at Gabe on Pink Finn. So like, I would have liked if it came out that like, you know, he just wanted to leave Evil Horse Island um, later on as like, that's actually his motivating factor. Um, but he's, I, he's gonna, he justifies it to them by like, I'll send you money, then we can keep the house. Yeah. Um, and then Miss Ali Snow says, I thought early on Gabe shut down the idea of them coming with him. He wanted them to get jobs at the mill. Yeah, I think he did too. I think he was like, no, I'm just going. Um, so, uh, and, you know, Gabe's not a great communicator, so that's probably part of it. But I would have liked if that had been done. I mean, it's not a bad, it's not an, it's not a really a problem with the book. <laughs> like it, We're talking yeah. about it a lot, but it functions well. Gabe does feel like a real person. Um, and going back to the guy um, saying that our house isn't owned and so she needs to win the race. The book does this thing that's really nice where it constantly ratchets up how much important the race has for both of the characters. Where originally she just wants Gabe to stay and then it's money. And for Finn, it starts out as like, I'm just going to race because that's what I no, normally Sean, do. Sean, Sean, Sean. 
Sean. But then it's um, like, oh, I need to do it to get the horse. And then it's like, okay, but also I don't want Puck to die in this race. Um, and so yeah. I thought that was really well done in terms of the structure of the novel and the underlying tension. I, I thought that was such a great, and it was also the way this book works is it starts with really low stakes because it's world building and just giving you a really good idea of like, it, it pulls a little bit of a spinning silver where it really couches you a little bit uh, as the story goes on in the mechanics of the world. Like, uh, you know, the butcher shop, because people need meat to feed their Kapalishka, is where you go to announce that you're going to race and where you put name on uh, the board. And it, it's such an interesting world building uh, piece that in an island where you have meat eating horses, the butcher shop is going to be one of the most important buildings. Um, but as you learn more of the town, more of the stakes, more of the mythos around the Kapil Ishka just slowly build on. Um, and it really helps the story unfurl in a really organic way. Yeah, there's a part towards the end that we'll talk about where it comes to, it talks about the beliefs of some of the island about the races. And I was like, oh my God, that's such a great world building note. And it really ties the the stakes of it. It ratchets up the stakes and, and the feeling of how real this world feels. So one thing is that um, one of Sean's first chapters, I think he's the first one after the prologue, is him gathering blood that's being, a, a cow is being butchered. And so he's gathering blood for his horse just because it's like a good thing. There's two things about the scene that I noticed that are really good writing. The first is that she describes the cobbles of the, the ground and how they're kind of uneven over time and because of roots. And I was like, oh, that is such a fantastic little just descriptive detail because it really makes you feel like, oh, I've seen that before. It, it, it ties you into the world. And the other is that the guy who's butchering the cow is doing it poorly. And like he says, like there's a way to do it correctly, even though you wouldn't think that. And that's it's such a nice moment of like, oh yeah, Sean Kendrick would know that there's a correct and a wrong way to butcher a horse and he would be able to see it. Whereas if, or butcher a cow, whereas like if I saw somebody butchering a cow, I'd just be like, whatever. But like, there is such a sense that he's really an expert in his field and that he knows what he's doing. And both of yeah. those things make the world feel real and help characterize him. Yep. Um, so Puck joins the race, uh, and, and initially she was like, she goes to, cause at the start before people fully commit to racing, there's like, oh, all the Kapil Ishka sellers go to the beach and have the Kapil Ishka. And, uh, this is another really great scene with Sean where there is this, uh, white and black piebald mare, um, who this one guy is like fastest horse, faster than your red stallion, Kendrick like super fucking fast um and he gets on the horse and she is really fast but she's also dangerous immediately he's like you should not sell that horse to anyone she's gonna fucking eat someone dangerous um which kind of screws up this guy's like sale because everybody's like well if sean kendrick says don't get on that horse we're not gonna get on that horse we also see a scene where um one of the Kapil Ishka goes to attack someone and everybody's like, Sean Kendrick, like throughout the book, anytime shit's going down with the Kapil Ishka, people are just like, where's Sean Kendrick? Get him here. Uh, and so you get to see him uh, kind of calm this horse down and like do this interaction. Uh, oh no, that was earlier. Uh, Mutt Malvern was trying to. This um, happens multiple times. Like yeah. how many people, what's the kill count in this book from Kapil Ishka? Like, four people and a dog um <laughs> and then a and, and like two tail. horses and cat's yeah. tail yeah what happened is initially um mutt had been trying to hard Capture. like get a horse yeah. from the the sea 
um, because they have to trap him and it doesn't go well. So they have to get Sean in the middle of the night and it eats somebody's shoulder. And then he's like, okay, put it back in the ocean, guys. And this is the beginning of the enmity between him and and Mutt. um, The beginning of your understanding of it. Because he's like, don't you dare release that. I I captured that horse. Don't you? And that would be like stealing. And Sean's like, fuck you. I'm letting this thing back out. Like, sorry. Because again, he knows. And that's what's really fascinating is that like, he really lo- like he loves the normal horses, but he also really understands the couple Ishka and the respect that they demand. And that's one of the next things that happens is that he has a horse called Kor, Kor. who is the horse who killed his daddy. And it took me way too long no, no, no. to realize that. No, no, no. It's not the horse who killed his dad. He his father fell off of Kor and got trampled by all the other Kapil Ishka. He told okay, Kor, right. don't eat dad. And Kor listened and did not eat dad. Kor is good boy. Core is actually remarkably good boy for being a carnivorous horse. Um, yeah, and um, but yeah, so Core is like his horse, and they go like train in the water or whatever. And it's a great scene because you can see the dance of like Core is testing him, but Sean also knows his limits, and so he's testing him back. And there is that kind of interesting. It's it contrasts well with Puck's relationship with Dawn, which is her pony yeah. or horse, as she would say. What did I say? You said Dawn. Oh, Dove. Um, who, again, is a pony, but she would call a horse. Um, at, who, which is like their relationship is based off of love and affection. And his and Kors is based off of like respect for pushing each other back and forth. Um, and at one point he, he says that like, you know, Kor is who made him who he is. And that's like such an interesting m- a part of the book to me that I thought really worked really well. The um, other thing... Uh, that kind of connects to this is uh, the way Sean interacts with the horses is completely different from everybody else. Like it's almost like a mysticism. It Uh, is. It's like, he's almost like a shaman. He knows all these like little things to do. Like he'll braid their hair as they're writing. He spits on his hand before he touches them to let them know where he is all the time. Um, he'll trace the veins in their neck with like a piece of a specific metal to like calm them down. He has all these like it's it's ritualistic, um, and it is fascinating because nobody else like this is why he is so good with them. This is what his father taught him, um, in how to interact. Like he'll he'll to keep them from moving past where he wants. He'll draw a circle in the sand and then spit in it, and the horse like knows. Okay, I, I don't like a go past circle. this. Yeah, and so it's it's weird because it feels like magical demon binding uh, kind of thing, but it's just these like mundane actions. Well, and the thing about it, well, that's what's interesting to me is you don't know how magic the horses are and how much not. How much of this is just the way that, you know, they respond. Like at one point he kills a horse with holly or something like that, which is like a magical thing. But like maybe they are just allergic to holly as a species. So it's sort of like plausibly deniable. Again, if you were in a university, you would need to figure the like the book would be like, okay, I actually got to tell you. But because they're on this isolated island where this is just how it's always been, the book doesn't need to. And I really, I really enjoyed that. It was. So good. Um, but anyway, so Puck goes and she's like, I got to get a horse. And she she's trying to get someone to give it to her for a fifth, which is basically if she wins, 
they take four fifths of the winning and she gets to keep one fifth, which effectively pays for the horse on the back end, uh, which is a gamble on whoever is selling, like uh, letting you ride the horse. And she was like, I I'm going to get a Kapolishka. And she gets on the piebald mare because it's he's the only guy who will even consider letting her do a fifth with him. Um, and she is woman's with womb. Ew. Yeah. And, and like, cuties. and she has no money. Like if she, cause there yeah, was a couple you? people like, if you have money, I will give you the horse. And she's like, I got nothing. I got hopes and dreams. Um, and she gets on the piebald mare and her brother Finn is there with her. And he was like, like Finn is just like, this is a terrible idea. I don't like this. Uh, and then the piebald mare eats a dog while <laughs> she's on it. And she's like, she's like, fuck it. I'm going to, I'm going to ride dove. And this is massive because this is a Kapil Ishka race. They are bigger, faster, stronger than normal horses. And they like to eat other horses. Like it's your dinner, like in a this race. This is such a bad idea. And during the race, the horses get really, one of the things you learn in that first scene where his dad gets trampled to death is the horses fight each other while they're doing the heckin' racing. Like, this is not just a, you. everybody single-mindedly focused on the finish line. Like, nah, motherfuckers. <laughs> nope. Um, and so she's like, I'm going to ride Dove. Uh, it's a principle. And Finn's like, yes, this good decision. Solid. Because, uh, yeah, the principle is that like, oh, Kapalishka killed my parents. So I'm not going to I'm not going to yeah. go in. And so Sean or Finn's like, OK, cool. Good. And it's more just like she got really scared in that moment because she was genuinely considering getting a Kapalishka. And then she was like, oh, no, that, that nope. And here's a here's a decent reason why I can get out of doing it. Because uh, Puck does that a lot where she'll do something and then she'll have to justify it afterwards, <laughs> um, which I think is very realistic because I, I think as humans, we do that regularly. But anyway, she decides she's going to race. Uh, the next morning, she's down on the beach with her horsey, and she can train in the water because one of the issues with the Kapalishka is they want to go back to the ocean, motherfuckers, and they will drag you down with them. So if you do not have good control on your Kapalishka, motherfuckers running into the water and taking you down too, bro. Um, and she's just like in the water doing a thing. But the problem is you don't have to just worry about the other racers Kapalishka on the beach this is Kapalishka season them motherfuckers just popping out of the water there is a scene early on in the book where her and Finn are kind of close to the water and a Kapalishka kind of jumps out and is like walking past and they're like don't move they love chasing moving targets and they just like sit still and you're like it has this nice edge of like spokenness and like oh no tension um and uh so She's just in the water training Dove and uh, Sean Kendrick comes on down and is like, why the fuck is there someone on a normal goddamn horse in the water? Like, he doesn't care that it's a girl. He's just like, what are, what is that person doing? Uh, but he's like, I'm gonna just do my thing. And he's out there. He's got his three horses that uh, his capital Ishka that he's uh, bringing in, which is Kor, who is his favorite. And now something to explain from now is Kor is not his horse. Kor is his horse in the sense that Kor is the horse his father and him. Actually, I'm pretty sure Sean's the one who captured Kor out of the water. It's mentioned multiple times. But Kor was his dad's horse when his dad died and the Mulverns took uh, him in. It became the Mulvern's horse. And he has tried on multiple occasions to buy Kor from Mulvern. And he will not sell him. And so he's bound to the Mulvern yard, you know, as a job. But also because he cannot leave Core. He loves this horse. But he has it two other... It reminded me... Uh, no, I was going to say, um, there's a documentary called Black 
fish? I think about black that. Um, no, I think it's black fish. It might be black fish. I think I'm right. Um, for once, I remember a thing. I don't remember the author, though. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. So anyway, it's a documentary about that um, killer whale that ate someone in a, a thing. And one of the things I remember is the Sea World? <laughs> in Sea World? Yeah, Sea World. Yeah. I, the trainer is talking about how, like, one of the reasons they stayed, even though they knew it was an abusive relationship for the dolphins, is, or not the dolphins, the, the um, Orca. killer whales, yeah, is that, like, they're they're not theirs they spend all this time with them and they bond but they're not theirs and they didn't want to leave them even though they knew this was not good for them because it's and i got a little bit of that vibe with sean of like you know he loves this thing that isn't his and like he stays well he stays because that's what he does but like it, it, he he stays in this situation for core and i thought that was like such an interesting um idea it really is. I, I really enjoyed their uh, relationship. Uh, anyway, and so he's out there and then uh, he's he's doing some training stuff and everybody else is like staying out of the ocean, just like training on the beaches. And then all of a sudden he hears like, again, somebody's like, Sean Kendrick. And he looks and it's because a Kapolishka has come out of the water and is attacking Puck and Dove. And he's like, ah, God damn it. So he like whew, gets into the water. He like fights the Kapil Ishka and this is where he has to take the holly out of his pocket and he puts it on the Kapil Ishka's um, snout and it causes it to die and he's like man I haven't had to kill a Kapil Ishka in a long time this sucks um, and I at the, and then he ends up getting taken under the water and then Puck has to like lift his head out to keep him from drowning um, and as he kind of comes to in the water he goes Keep your horse off this goddamn beach. He he just says, "Keep your horse off of this beach." And he's but not Maria trying to be, yeah, he's not trying to be an asshole. He's literally just like, "You nearly died, motherfucker! Like it's dangerous. This is not the place for a normal horse right now." I love so much that it wasn't an overwrought UST like Ugh, enemies to lovers. Like stay off the beach, you goddamn bitch. Not that because I sound like I'm <laughs> women 50s. don't belong here. Yeah. Or, or something like that, or he's so mad at her and he doesn't know why. Um, it's funny because Maria made the comment on the Discord that if you look at him objectively and you think of him as not being good looking, he's really just kind of a dork. <laughs> like he kind of is just like a horse person who likes what he does and he's maybe a little socially awkward. Um, and that's how he is. He's very like, he's not dramatic about this stuff. And that's one of the things I really appreciated is it made him and Puck's uh, dynamic a lot more interesting and real feeling than like oh so hot yeah. oh and because she takes it badly she's like oh man this guy told me to keep off the, the beach oh no like what a dick and he's just like like because he could have said listen it's super dangerous you need to think about what you're doing but it's sean kendrick he just goes stay off the beach like i don't know what to tell you um so she goes and she's like freaked out dove is freaked out um and so she starts uh, going on the beach like super, super early in the morning before other people get there. Um, and eventually, like the two of them kind of befriend each other through uh, a bit of necessity. Like there's a point where uh, they end up uh, in a car together going into town. And he says, listen, I have an extra cap extra Kapolishka if you would like to ride her. And it's him being like, you're good at horses. <laughs> like you, you obviously want to do this again. He's an awkward horse guy. So the way he offers like some friendship is through a horse. Yeah. Like it kind of makes sense if you think of it that way. Cause you're not in his viewpoint when he offers to do it, but you get that like, this is him. Cause like he, again, he's very direct. He's like, 
would you like a horse? You yeah. know? Not <laughs> like, okay, like, are we friends now? Yeah, and, and she's like, is he trying to like, 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 what's his angle here? Why would he say that? And it's just him being like, listen, you're going to go in this race. You probably mm -hmm. should be on a Kapalishka. I've um, now heard your reasons for being in the race. And I yeah. like, I understand this is us bonding. Um, and so she ends up, uh, they end up meeting at the a cliff and he, he presents and it's this uh, unnamed mare that uh, he has uh, and he's not sure if she's any good, like she's a little hard to handle, uh, but he figures it would be better than like going into the race with Duh. And uh, she's like, do you think it's a good horse? And he's like, I think it's better than your normal horse. And she's like, okay, let's race. If you beat Dove and me, then I'll, I'll ride this horse. And he's like, okay. So he gets on the horse and they start racing and uh, immediately, uh, not immediately, but pretty quickly, he pulls ahead of Dove. He's going, but they're kind of going towards like a cliff. Uh, no, the horse turns around behind them is the uh, cliff towards the ocean. And they're running in like the opposite direction. And then halfway through the race, the horse is just like, Fuck it, I want the ocean, please, because she hears like the crash of the waves. And you get the sense that the pull of the ocean is just so enticing to the Kapalishka. They just want to go home. Um, and so the, the horse literally just turns around and starts running to the cliff. And he's like, oh, God. Oh, like he's like trying to calm her down. Try, he's using all of his tricks to try get her to chill. And at the last minute, like right before they go over the cliff, he finally like jumps off the horse and lets her go. Um, and she manages to dodge the rocks and go off. And so uh, uh, Puck comes back and goes, uh, so and he's like, you won. Congrats. Good job. Another another moment I love is that he doesn't get bitchy about it. He he just is very straightforwardly like, you won. That's that's fair. It's interesting that this horse ran into the water. <laughs> but he doesn't get like, oh man, I was wrong about it or anything. And it or tells that, you something about his character. Or if that horse hadn't like turned around and run into yeah. the ocean, uh, you would have been smoked. Like he doesn't There's care. a lack like, of ego to it that's really yes. nice. Uh also someone mentioned Zeta says the ocean says which is just something that regularly gets brought up in the audiobook that is just so magical. The, and the narrators match each other's intonation. These two narrators have worked together before. I know they have because they were in flipping Ember in the Ashes. Um, this is such a better book than that, you guys. Oh my uh, God. That book is like all the things I disliked about this book in terms of being overwrought. It's interesting how much better some authors are than others. Yeah. And I said it. It's true. But the way they narrate that of the ocean, they like they matched each other. Like you can tell some thought was it was so good. Mwah. I love it. Uh, but anyway, uh, so she decides to race stuff. And there's this big like ceremony night where like there's a like the fair, the Scorpio like festival. And uh, there's a procession where you have to go and uh, announce your like racing and say who your horse is and once that happens you can't change horses anymore um and uh at this point uh sean has a meeting with benjamin malvern where malvern's like okay tell me about the three horses we have which one's the fastest which one's uh the most dependable because what you find out is every year benjamin malvern asks sean about who's the safest horse uh, and that's the one that he puts his son Mutt on because he doesn't want Mutt to die. <laughs> so he puts her on the safest one. And it's this horse named Madonna. 
And so Malvern's like, okay, you'll write core. One second, guys. Excuse me. Um, you'll write core. I'm sorry, I couldn't get to my screen fast enough, guys. That was gross. <laughs> go ahead. And then Mutt will ride Idana. <clears throat> and then if you want to let that other one go, you can. And then, you know, he's he met with uh uh what's her face to see if she'd take it and she didn't because the horse jumped off a cliff. So you get to the night of the festival, and um uh it's really interesting because there is this kind of like paganism because there is christianity here uh so actually one of the ways this showed up earlier was the melvorn stables he says like we call them the melvorn stables but they were here before him you get a sense for like this grotto and they have all these carvings on them that like again are like these old celtic carvings of horses and men and ocean um again wonderful uh world building detail and at one another point it's mentioned that like one of the families like they're not christian they kind of follow the old pagan ways mm -hmm. of the island um and i thought that was really great and the thing about this uh stone that they're gonna all go and mark their blood on is they mentioned at one point that they used to just kill a person the writer who wouldn't um who wouldn't go on the races or something like that, which is like such a great bloody detail. I just yeah. really like that. Oh, it's so good. But there's also like a woman in a Capolish mare costume, just like half woman, half horse, just walking around and she's the mare goddess. And she's like, her voices. And, and at one point Sean's trying to figure out who the fuck is in that costume. Um, and uh, cause she says like, I'm going to give you another wish because years ago I, uh, she hands out a seashell and whoever gets the seashell gets to make a wish. And he got one previously. And she said, I'm going to give you another wish. Uh, Sean Kendrick decide what you want. And he is so off put by this interaction because it feels so magical. He's like, I just need to find out who it is, whoever. And then that'll take the mysticism out uh, while he's off doing that and trying to have that experience. Um, uh, Puck is trying to find Gabe because She's really pissed that Gabe did not tell her that they were going to lose their house. <laughs> like, why wouldn't he have said anything? And she hasn't been able to find him because he has not been coming home since the night he told them he was leaving. Um, and he just like either it's coming home super, super late or just isn't coming home and she can't tell. So she's trying to find him and she does. And she has this really like stilted uh, interaction with him where he basically like he's like, why would I have told you guys? What could you have done about it? You know, the two Finn and Puck go work at these three sisters. It's called Fathom and Sons, even though there's no sons and no one's named Fathom. They're the uh, Maud sisters uh, and like the head ones Dory Maud. And they go there and they'll make teapots uh, for them to sell in their catalogs and they'll get some money from that. But like Finn and Puck aren't money makers, you know? Uh, and he was like, why would I have told you guys? And so they have this like interaction that for Puck is just very unsatisfying. And she, at one point, and I felt this to my core, this book does women existing in a space that people think of as just for men super well in a way that didn't feel like, ooh, men suck. You know, it just felt like, ah, this is the life that these people lead. But at one point he calls her hysterical and she was like, I didn't think I was being hysterical. That was a great note. Yeah. That like people just call her that sometimes. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm not. And so later she has to keep her calm. Cause she's like, I don't want to be called hysterical, which again is just like a little detail that I think a lot I've of women I've been there. Like I felt that to my core of being like, 
I was not hysterical. And then later having to check myself to make sure I was as calm, cool, and collected as possible so people wouldn't think I was hysterical, especially like I'm a director. And not only am I a director, but I've been one since I was like uh, in a this uh, in my job since I was like 27, which is kind of young, especially when a bunch of other people were like that I was in charge of were older than me. Um, um, and which movies? What? You said you were a director. Which movies have you directed? Like management, like 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 middle man management position. Um, but anyway, and so like I feel that so hard. Um, but anyway, uh, and it was just a great scene. I really liked it. Th there was this guy who was, you could tell was into Puck, um, who she thought was nice, and she kept describing his hands as square, but like they were nice hands, and his face was also kind of square. It was very cute. But anyway, uh, she kind of like fucks off. Uh, so she doesn't have to walk through. Like, she's so upset. She doesn't want to have to walk through and have people see how upset she is. So she kind of goes out the back. Um, and then it comes to, like, the declaration ceremony where, again, there's that rock Will was talking about. Um, and they just, like, drop some goat's blood on it instead of, you know, slitting a man's throat over the rock. Modernizing. Lame and, lame and not at all hardcore. I just <laughs> want to say that. <laughs> um... But yeah, and they have all the writers who have to come up and announce who they're writing. Uh, and when M Malvern comes up, he says he's not writing Idana, he's writing Scotter, who is the white and black piebald mare who was the fucking like uh, dog I was eater wondering from, from the beginning of the mayor's introduction, like, okay, how are how is Puck gonna write her? Is Core gonna have a problem and and Sean is gonna write her? And like I was like, oh, this is a good use for her. Cause I'd been wondering if like at the last minute Puck was gonna um shift from Dove to to the piebald. Yeah. And it's not what happens, which I thought was like, oh, okay, that's a smart yeah. use of it. Um, and so it gets up to the point where Puck is going to ride. And at this point, you really haven't gotten a lot of interaction outside of people being like, this is really dangerous, Puck, don't do this. Like uh, Peggy, uh, the butcher's wife, um, comes, I forgot her last name, uh, but it comes to her like the morning after she announces that she's gonna ride and was like, you shouldn't do this. And Puck's like, you're not gonna talk me out of this, Peggy. And Peggy's like, fair enough. Okay, <laughs> I will not talk you out of this. Um, but the night, uh, like, she walks up. She's getting ready to walk up the stone so she can drop some of her blood up. And then uh, some men from the village were like, nope, nope, nope. There has never been a woman who has ever raced this. It is uh, the sea is the unchangeable woman. We must be on the island. The steadfastness, uh, you know, like, you can't also be on the beach. That's too much. And she's like... I'm not trying to like do anything. I just, I have to race guys. Uh, and she's like, what does it matter? And they were like, no, we're not going to let you. It's never happened before. And it was such a realistic, cause you buy it from this small town, a little bit of a backwater that, and no woman has ever raced before. She didn't even think like, I'm the first woman who raced. Like, it's not something that the book highlights, but immediately I was like, oh yeah, this would be something. Uh, and oh, uh, Jesse highlights, um, yeah, this was such a great part. Yeah. Um, oops. We have rules that should go without saying. Yeah, because they start trying to change the rules on her at the last minute and being like, oh, no. And she's like, that's not in the official rules. And he's like, okay, there's rules that go without saying. And she thought that was bullshit. Yep. Um, yeah, it is a great way of doing it. Which, by the way, 
there he he's actually right in that like there are rules that go without saying in terms of like if you were cooking something and putting a recipe you wouldn't specify chicken eggs you would just say eggs but in this case yes it's sexist and weird and i actually did like that scene i thought it yes. was very funny um but anyway and then like everybody's like uh like they're literally coming because she like takes another step up the rock and they're like okay we're gonna bodily take her down and then sean kendrick's like she can race she's pretty good i've seen her she's fine i vouch for her and everybody's like well if sean kendrick said it i guess we have to fucking let it happen yeah which was like a good moment I loved it. I love Sean so much, and I love how people are like, nobody knows more about racing in the Kapalishka than Sean Kendrick, so if Sean says it, we have to listen. Like, just, mwah. I love it. But anyway, uh, so she does her thing. She, like, pricks her finger, bleeds her little blood on the rock, uh, announces she's racing with Dove, um, and Peg Gratton, uh, yeah, Gratton, that's her name, Peg Gratton, uh, has this bird costume that apparently is symbolic for the island. And, and she's the person people say that they're going to race to. Uh, so she does her thing. Uh, sorry, really quickly. Angry Otter says how he made up rules when he was losing, basically. Yeah. That's how she thinks of it is like when they're kids and uh, Gabe would just make up new rules if he started mm -hmm. losing. And it really is like that. It was such a great metaphor for um, the, the childishness of their rules and, and the sexism of it. Um, also a very good description of Elon Musk at the moment. Topical. I saw somebody say that, that it's like a kid whenever they're losing, they should make up more rules. More and rules. that's what he's doing on Twitter. Yep. And it's just, it's so interesting because it really felt like no one is an outright outside of Mutt who literally has no stakes in the woman shouldn't be racing game is like an outright asshole, but it's just like something that you feel is just embedded in this culture. And it works so much more than a lot of the like books we've read where they were like, um, like in lore, in the book lore, there's oh my uh, God. this Which again, rule, you guys haven't read, but... and we haven't posted the video for it, but there's this weird rule, even though it's set in modern times in New York City, uh, there's this rule that only men can inherit the power of the gods, even if the god was previously a woman god. <laughs> um, and it's just, it feels like such a made up, non-organic to the setting rule. Like, like you're telling me in the past 2000 years, that never changed and those kinds of things feel like the author being like i'm going to make a feminist commentary for the sake of making a feminist commentary and it, it feels like it's trying too hard um and it just yeah, makes men look so. like and it's, dicks and it's so annoying and it doesn't again it's just you can feel it deeply embedded in this uh insular culture that like again she like probably came generations ago and she's still an outsider and and like there is like still the deep pagan beliefs even if they've all switched to christianity now um it feels organic and it, it's so much more powerful and one thing people have mentioned in the comments and eventually i was gonna mention too is that um this book feels so much more powerful even though the stakes are so much lower than in a lot of the other books we've read which are like about saving the world mm -hmm. and like yeah in this book because the stakes are so much lower it feels so powerful and in that way it's like this is not like us destroying the patriarchy it's like just one step and so the, it and it and it feels more radical in certain ways because of that it's oh it's so good anyway so then um her and sean start training together uh and it, you very like like she kind of is like oh he kind of cute um but very quickly as they start getting to know each other they like 
they like each other. They haven't said that they like each other to each other, but, but they just kind of have accepted the fact that they like each other. Like Sean starts thinking about like Puck's well-being. Puck like enjoys seeing him and, and begins to understand like who he is and picking up on some of his uh, idiosyncrasies. Uh, and it just, it's, it's really lovely because it's quiet and the way they court each other is like super subtle and just like, through these small interaction moments, uh, there's no fever touch. There's no Thank like when God. when other because people comment like it's a small town. People have have seen that Puck and uh, her uh, Puck and Sean are hanging out, and when people comment on it, she's not like, "Oh, I could never like him." What are you talking? You know, like that kind of reaction. Um, there's literally a point where she's like, "Ah, oh, I guess I do kind of have like some it's again." Just, it's so much less childish than a lot of the books we've read in terms of like remember um stupid elias and his like <sighs> overactive libido in that book that was also narrated by these called ember in the ashes mm -hmm. and that was like so annoying all the time mm -hmm. and childish and juvenile and in this book it's not like that they're just yep. much more straightforward and it's it's sweet Valerie says no needless angst and then uh, Miss Alino says and everyone in town immediately starts shipping <laughs> immediately. The only one who's kind of cautious uh, what I think it was Peggy Gratton where she said like you know you're trying to be like one of the guys um, like you have too much similarities uh, yeah which was a very again a, 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 an interesting little feminism thing of yeah. like you can fit into that culture but they're gonna see you differently, differently. And then also she had a great moment where she was like, oh, I know the, you know, racers are hot and cool, but, um, you know, they love the sea more than you. And then Puck is like, oh, that's not a problem. He doesn't love the sea. He loves his horses. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Zeta said, I love when Dory and Holly tell them separately to be good to each other. And the brooch is like, wait, what? And then like, <laughs> but after they like uh, have their inter, I like, it's just so good. It's so, um, oh, uh, Peg said uh, to Sean, those races, uh, or to Puck, those races are a jealous lover, or it might have been to Sean, I don't remember, but it's such a good comment that, like, the people who race are hard to love, um, but in this case, they both race, so it's Well, the like thing about it is that he isn't racing because he loves the race. He's He loves his horse, and that's why he's racing, which is, yeah. he's not chasing that high. He's building a relationship over time. Yeah. Um, and and for him, the race is very, like, a bit functional. Like, he enjoys it, and he enjoys the, like, high of it, but it's not, like, a make or break. Like, he's won, I, I, we haven't mentioned this, he's won four times at this point. Yeah, and he doesn't, like, think about it or anything like that. It's just like, okay, I get to do the thing. So for um, him, and the, then, the race has very low stakes initially. Angry Otter says, that's actually pretty accurate for an insular environment. Every small town is full of shipbuilders. <laughs> I like yep. that term. Um, but anyway, uh, so their romance is super cute. It unfolds really nicely. Um, there's a point as the race is coming closer where she invites him over for dinner and he's like, I shouldn't, I have so much to do. Cause not only is he preparing for the race, but he still has his job at the Mulvern. Oh, I forgot to mention, there's this really terrible scene. <laughs> Actually, oh. have we mentioned, and maybe we did and I didn't remember, but like one of the stake raisings is that he told Melbourne like, Hey, no, I was getting there, but yeah. Oh, okay. On. No, no, no. He tells uh, Melbourne, like, hey, if you want me to keep working for you, I want to buy core. And and he's never, and Melbourne has always been like, no. And he's like, okay, I quit. And it's such a great thing because this is the thing that really makes him anxious. And this is his real fear is not running in the race, but losing core. Um, and so it's a moment where 
what I liked about it is that it's almost um, not a typically masculine fight for him to have of like, you know, I'm going to be tough and like, I'm worried about knife and death. It's like, no, I'm really worried about losing this part of my life that I love. Um, and I really liked how that was the thing he had to confront, not like the monster. It was so good. Uh, but the other thing that happens earlier with um, uh, Mutt Malvern is there is a cult named Fundamental. Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah, it sucks. I don't need to mention this scene, but it's such a good scene um, where there's this cult named Fundamental who is part Kapalishka, so super loves swimming. Uh, and I, I, Sean has taken Fundamental out uh, to exercise him in the water, and he has this guy named Daly, who's one of the people, stable hands, watching the water of this cove, because they're in a cove which is pretty protected, but there is one entrance into the rest of the ocean that a capel could come through and, like, you know, try to eat. Uh, fundamental um and but daily is supposed to be watching and uh, this happens pretty early on it's right after the scene where um puck and dub nearly get eaten by the capitalist on the beach and so sean's a little distracted but he's relying on daily and mutt tells daily to go away and he's going to watch and he specifically sees a Kapalishka come into the cove and doesn't say anything. At the last minute, Daly realizes what's happening. And Sean does too, because he sees the, the way that water dips as something really big is coming underneath. But it's too late. And it literally like clamps down on Fundamental's neck. And immediately, immediately, Sean dives in to try save Fundamental. And it's just such a shitty scene because he'd been talking about earlier about how he watched Fundamental be born. He's one of the best like brightest horses that they have. Like he's, he's such a like beauty. Uh, and then he just gets killed by this Kapil Ishka because Mutt Malvern was hoping it would piss off Benjamin Malvern enough to uh, fire him. Uh, and there's this great moment where you realize that Benjamin Malvern knows who his son is because he hears the report from Daly and he hears Mutt's report and he goes to Sean and says, you tell me what actually happened. And Sean's like, oh shit, I, I can't talk against your son. And my, and Benjamin goes, no, no, that's all I needed to hear. Because he said, why did why did you dive in the water to try save Fundamental? And he was like, of, of course I would. Why wouldn't I? I watched that horse being born. And uh, it's a testament to how, how much Benjamin, as much as he's a dick, trusts Sean, that he immediately was like, oh yeah, no. I actually kind of liked Benjamin as a character like he's a bastard but there is a sense to him being kind of a real person in that like he is kind of reasonable he does want his son to live like as much as he may be kind of shitty to his son at times he makes sure that he's getting on the least dangerous horse and he lets him ride um and like he does feel like a small town tyrant but like kind of a realistic person and um I did like that about him I thought he was a little bit more nuanced than Mutt yeah, I agree. Um, but anyway, uh, so I have to explain something because this is kind of important. Uh, towards like the, I would say the beginning of the last third, when uh, Sean says, I'm quitting uh, if you don't let me have court. He, and he does quit. Like for a day, he's quit. <laughs> um, and immediately immediately mutt takes core out to the beach because he's never been able oh, yeah. to ride core, but because now that Sean doesn't work there anymore. Um, 
And so he takes Korok to the beach and the way Mutt rides is he uses a lot of these things that annoy the Kapalishka to control them, like an iron breastplate and they hate iron. It's got barbs on it. He puts bells on his hooves. Well, and, and specifically Core hates it because Core doesn't need like uh, Sean is like, you know, there's some kind of works with and some it doesn't and you need to gauge how much. Again, there's a lot of really nice small details that show that Sean knows what's up with these horses. It's not just an informed ability like sometimes we've read in these books. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he gets up on uh, core and then there's another kid like i think the guy's name was david but there's this other guy helping him who's holding the front lead of core and uh sean is on the beach puck has come down to see this but she sees sean kind of standing away from everything um and she kind of goes to him and is like are you okay and he's like like he's kind of not watching but watching at the same time uh and of course core attacks someone and like literally takes a chunk out of the neck of the guy who was in front and and sean could see it happening and starts like calling against it because core kept just butting his nose against this guy's shoulder and the guy thought it was like a normal horse david prince Woo, that's this guy's name david just thinks it's like core being a horse and 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 this is one of those moments where you see you can't let you you can't treat them like a normal horse and david even Prince's core mistake. even core who is like the most trained in terms of like how, how we see him from Sean's point of view. Like he just, I always, I, I love imagining him too, just like snapping. There's a part uh, where he's riding the piebald at the beginning and it's described as almost like serpentine and how it runs and moves. And you're like, oh, this really is just death incarnate. Yep. Or the um, sea. And uh, David Prince makes the mistake of treating core like a horse and ends up losing his life for it. And so Sean like calls and is like, my like, or David like back away. And David doesn't, and core just takes a chunk out of his neck and puck and Sean like run like, uh, and Sean immediately like mutt gets like tossed off. Sean takes off his uh, jacket, takes off his shirt and kind of balls it up and puts it in core's nose to get core to calm down and immediately just starts, uh, trying to take off all of this shit that um, Mutt had put on him. And then Puck is goes down to David Prince and is holding his hand. And David's like trying to talk. And she's like, no, 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 it's okay. Help is coming. It's fine. And at one point, um, Sean asks for her help. And she realizes that David Prince is no longer holding her hand. She's holding his. And that's how it says it in the book. And it's such a great moment. It's, it's one of those writerly things that like, uh, somebody said once about great writing is it's like a moment you felt but seen from a view you haven't or it articulates something you've always felt and like that was the thing is it's like it's a good bit of like wordplay but it really hits you at that moment um i i actually just love that scene where she's holding on to his hand and you can feel her panic and just mm -hmm. uh anxiety just all rolling in on her at this moment as this man is dying Oh, it's so good. Uh, anyway, and then Shauna asks for her help to like hold Core's lead and uh, she holds it and she realizes that Sean is trusting her in this moment uh, to be close to Core because he is literally like underneath Core taking off all of these bells, taking off everything. But she realizes Core calmed down because it was the smell of Sean. Like there, there, there is something there with like the presence of them and uh and also it's a shirtless scene and she's not like wow look how rugged and handsome yes you know, like, that was so good 
it doesn't even like occur to her. Uh, like it's just the scene is just so intense. And like in other lesser quality books, that would have been something that got mentioned a minute after she realized a, a dude died. Um, and she's kind of caught because she's like super uh, like in awe of Sean's ability to calm this horse down. But she's also like terrified that this guy has died and she feels guilty. Like if she had kept holding his hand, maybe he wouldn't have. And it, it's just a fantastic scene. And it also puts into perspective that like uh, even a tame Kapolishka, you have to, as someone else, Miss Ali Snow said, uh, you can't let your guard down for a minute and you absolutely cannot. Um, and it's a great scene. And it is uh, after this point where Sean asks her if she wants to ride Core. Um, and it's at this point that Mutt Malvern is like, okay, or not Mutt, Benjamin Malvern's like, I'll let you if you win the race and you can pay me 200 uh, coins, I will let you buy Core. Um, and he asks uh, her if she wants to ride. Uh, and he was like, obviously with me, I'm not going to put you up on this horse by yourself. And she's like, kind of terrified and he's like he's not sure if she's gonna say yes and then she's like yeah no I'm, I'm fucking gonna do it and he's like uh yeah angry otter said i'm not gonna go into it but there's a scene where she goes to confession that was so funny that was so so funny and it's great Read the it's book, a great guys. characterizing moment too for the setting and that mm -hmm. like yeah there is this kind of catholicism to them that like and, she, and Puck isn't like a religious character, but like she goes to church and she needs to say a confession and then she needs him to give her some Hail Marys to say and then she'll feel better. Better, um, even though she hasn't done anything bad. Like there's literally a part, it's so funny. Uh, Zeta said, I've sinned, I swear. And the, the priest's like, okay, here's two Hail Marys and a, <laughs> a Columba. Like get the fuck out. It's so great. Um, there's also a nice follow-up scene where Finn was like, did the priest make you uh, do some stuff? You've been bad lately. And she was like, I was trying to tell him. <laughs> that was great. It's so great. But anyway, um, and so the next morning, they, I, I think it was literally like the next morning, like later that day. Yeah, um, it's close by. She uh, goes to ride core and it is a super like, like the shipper in me was like, oh yes, I love this because there's a point where like, it's it really loud and she had like, he has to like, talking to her ear and you know like mm, it's so great like and the, the book doesn't focus on those moments by now it's earned by now it's earned is the thing this is like in the last third of the book and so mm -hmm. and it's not like fever touch it's just like oh she remembered his hand and like yeah and it, it really and there actually is this sense of like intimacy about the scene anyway mm -hmm. so that it doesn't feel out of place one of the things i said about uprooted is that like by the end you're like she took his hand and like that has this quality already mm -hmm. um which was is really good but then after this part uh, they've basically decided that like they're going to kind of work together in the race mm -hmm. in that um sean is going to be on one side of her she's going to basically be able to run in the sea more than the other kapalishka and he'll be on the other side of her protecting her with the, the other one. Oh, that that's the other thing is that core is into dove um, yes. Who is her oh work. my god! <laughs> it was the best. I loved it, and he's like prancing and stuff, and he's like, "Yo, my guy, stop!" Because he's like, <laughs> sometimes they want to mate with them, and sometimes they want to eat them, like normal horses. So and, yeah, core is core likes dove, and I love that. Mwah, I can ship. Um, uh, continue. You were. Yeah. No. So they're at this point, they've decided they're gonna go. Um, there's a really great scene where. Um, her and Puck and Finn are like eating 
like outside at night and they're having a picnic and then they just see this like black death's head come out of the dark. Actually, I think they hear it. That's the image I really remember. Towards the afternoon, like the sun is going down. Finn has been smelling rain and it's been like, yeah, storm is coming. Um, And the thing is, storms are not great because while it's wet, the Capalish are like, land is a good place to be. Heck in good times. Um, And they're sitting there and they're eating like a cake or something. And it's this really like chill scene. She's just worked out Dove. Dove is calming down, eating some hay. Uh, And her and Finn are just having like a regular old chit chat. And then they hear something. And like, cause Dove's ears prick and, and, and there's this quiet moment and then they hear the noise again. And then they hear like, uh, like a, a, a cry and they're like, oh shit, it's a Kapalishka. And then they see, and there's this beautiful way where like the Kapalishka are sometimes serpenty and less horse-like and other times more horse-like and this bl- long black face with these long ears and nose and uh, noses that basically slits just turns around and is pushing against the gate that is keeping it out. And it's not well, only the couple is to have like those square creepy goat eyes, not like mm-hmm. normal horse eyes. So that's also how I imagined it. Oh God. And it's just so terrifying. Cause like dove is still, and they're all like, we have to be really still. We have to be super still. And like the, you're just like captivated. And then all of a sudden they hear another noise, like a oh, crying. So and, um, like at first she thinks it's another Kapalishka come to like fuck him up. And then she realizes, oh no, it's Puffin. It's Finn's like barn cat that he likes. And this is the noise the cat makes to let Finn know. It's like, you, you guys have heard my pumpkin when she wants my attention and she makes that like Cats baby. specifically mimic baby noises to get humans attention. Yes. Like that's why they sound so pitiful and plaintive sometimes. And, and it's that noise. Like, like, and so I'm just sitting there thinking of my pumpkin being like, mom, I want your attention. And I'm like, oh no. And then you see Puffin coming up, like completely unaware of what's happening. And then the Kapil Ishka's attention goes from the three of them to the cat. And you're like, oh God, no, murder me. Um, and then the cat sees the Kapalishka and just starts running, which is the worst thing to do because Kapalishka like a chase. And the Kapalishka just starts like bolting after it and then like as they like clear vision uh they hear the yowl of puffin and and finn is just inconsolable because it's his heck and kitty and she's like oh god we have to get inside we have to bring dove inside and they're like trying to get out of the little fenced area and you're just like no puffin and as a reader i was like if puffin's dead i'm done um because you know we care more about cats in in fiction, animals are more important than humans. Again, I love Finn, but if Finn had died, it wouldn't have been as traumatic as if the cat had died. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, that's just how it is for some reason. And uh, so as they're trying to get into the house, Gabe and uh, Tommy Falk show up uh, and they've got uh, Tommy's car and they had realized that a bunch of cattle were coming up out of the ocean. Like everyone on the island is kind of like on lockdown because it's dangerous uh, weather. Like it, it j- like storms equal equal cattle attacks. Um, and so they came to get them because their house is not the sturdiest. Um and they literally have like hold doves reins outside the car so that they can like trot off and they go to um, Peggy and Thomas Gratton's house or Tommy Gratton's house. And it's uh, Gabe. It's um, Tom, uh, like, uh, Oh no, it was uh, Bish. I forgot what Peggy. And, I uh, forget Tommy's all son. of them. 
yeah tommy i only remember because he has a scene right before like the end and like yeah so they get them and they bring dove and they go back to peggy's house which is the butchers and yeah. this is where again one of my theories is that gabe and peggy were having an affair because there's this part where puck mentions that like gabe is so much happier over there and this is, must have been where he was the whole time um and then there's a part where he's talking in peggy's ear while everybody else is off somewhere else. And that to me, I thought was very suspicious. I also thought him and Tommy might be gay because that also would make sense for why he was over there all the time. And he seemed so much happier. But I, be, I, I took it as it was a happy, complete household. It was a mom, a dad, Beach was there. Uh, and it was just a place where he could avoid the sadness and depressive just, nature of his life. It's such a shitty move on his part. Like, can I just, I mean, can I... it is, but it's it, that happens like he, I, I for me it felt like he was depressed he wasn't handling the situation and he was escaping it uh like uh people who just play video games to avoid dealing with the things in their life that they don't want to deal with like he just why would you call me out in the middle of a podcast you know i don't edit these i wasn't calling you out i was gonna say fan fiction <laughs> but i thought that would be a call out <laughs> So Actually, I, I do. I did back when I was more depressed all the time. I would use video games to kind of like as a yeah. And like so him movie. him going to because it, it's also said that he goes to Tommy Fox's house as well. Like he would just he would just hang out with his friends in their complete homes with their loving parents, um, and go hang out there. So that's what Very I took it as. You know what I mean? Now, Angry Otter also picked up on some mm -hmm. Peggy Gabe vibes. I didn't. Maybe it was there. Go ahead and, and like, you read it, guys. Let me know. Uh, so, <laughs> so, join uh, the discourse. Join the discourse. Uh, and Grouter said, I saw the family aspect, but I also am with Will on the peg affair mm -hmm. thing. Uh, and then um, Pearl says, it could have been Gabe was not happy with becoming a surrogate parent of his household, which is what I took for it. And then, yeah, I didn't get any scandal vibes. He was just happier there. Uh, Think about We're split. Again, literature is sometimes doing things underneath the surface that you have to bear in mind. It is? <laughs> oh my God, William. Who knew? I know. I Hey, I'm smart. What can I say? This this whole... um. Uh, hold on, because someone said... Oh, okay. Cecilia said on the Discord, typing this here for the discussion about Gabe later on, leaving your family behind is such a difficult thing and so nuanced as well. And I do think that Stiffader set it up right. I do feel like Gabe has issues leaving, but more in a way that he has already closed off his heart to that part of him as self-preservation. I come from a small town as well and left to live abroad for three years. I returned to my small town to take care of my sister and I hate being here. I love my family, but there's just less of me to love them. I can't be myself here the same way Gabe can't heal. He can't be fully committed to be there for his family. So I finally really get his uh, character motivation. This is actually also the scene um, where uh, Puck and Gabe finally have a talk about like why he's leaving. And it, it does make it, it's interesting because I kind of thought this was going to happen and then the author actually does it, which is nice, which is that like Gabe starts from a position of like, what a bastard. And then move, you understand him and Puck understands him more as like, okay, he's making a decision that's kind of shitty at times, but is also, he is not necessarily a shitty person for doing it. Um, and like, again, him needing to leave, I feel like is a little too ambiguous. I think, again, there might be other reasons that we could consider that why he would leave, but, um, oh, 
Well, the again, well, again, the priest said Gabe had his reasons. That's what I'm saying. But and I... it was consensually if he was confessing actual sin to the priest, adultery is a sin. Seems like a breadcrumb to me. But the priest didn't say he com like he confessed sins. He just said he had his reasons. Well, he can't he say he's a priest. Never watched a soap opera where somebody has cheated and had a kid out of wedlock and they tell the priest and then the priest can't As tell someone. Jesse else. says, also selfishness is a sin especially amongst the Catholics. So it, it's the jury is split. We don't have an actual decision. I'm not going to spend more time arguing <laughs> over whether or not Gabe had an affair with Peggy Gratton. Okay. We're just going right, to move. Have, he might have. I don't think so. Some people. It's like one of the great literary mysteries. Like how do you pronounce Anna Karenina? Yes. Uh, I, da, da, da. Um, anyway. What are we? Oh, yeah. We should probably finish up. Um, yes. So, um, I, Sean, she invites Sean to dinner at her house and it's super fucking cute. He shows up with bread and she's like, oh my God. When she opens the door, she's like, oh God, it looks like he's courting. But she's like, ah, I guess so. <laughs> like, it's fine. And it's just so cute because you get to see Sean. It's it's great. Mwah, I love it. Uh, Gabe, after this point, starts coming into their life more like day Gabe comes over with Tommy Falk and brings a chicken. They have dinner. Sean shows up. It's super cute. Uh, which sets up the next scene where um, Sean had told her, you need to bring Dove down to the beach tomorrow because it'll be your last day you can practice on the beach and you need some, like Dove needs to get a bit used to having the other capels around. She tried once before to go down onto the beach uh, earlier in the book, but uh, the guys were dicks and um, their capels were trying to like get at Dove. And so they like fucked off and she hasn't been back down on the beach with Dove since. And uh, he tells her, we should do that tomorrow so you can get that practice because the next day, which is the day before the race, the beach is closed. Nobody's allowed to go out. And she's like, okay, I can do that. Uh, and then the next morning she's getting ready to go down. And he was like, no, 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 bring Dove back. Like you can't, you absolutely cannot uh, bring her out. The, the sand is really like, it's stormy. The sand is really chaotic. Like it's a bad day. You will fuck shit up. Um, and then she goes, okay, I'll put Dove behind uh, Dory Maud's stall, but is Tommy Falk down there? Like, is I can see Tommy not knowing and deciding to go down. And he was like, I'll go find him. And she's like, no, 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 I'll go with you. So they go down together and they find Tommy Falk. And it is just such an affecting scene because you just had like a, the night before him throwing a chicken around the living room with Gabe. Um, and they, and it's the way they stumble upon his death is so like the way she wrote it is so atmospheric and sad and beautiful where like his capel is just like standing there and there's like four dead bodies in a row. And she just, he, Sean comes up and sees Puck just crouched next to one of the bodies, not looking at it, but kind of looking at the sand in between her and it's Tommy. And the next day, which is the day before the um, uh, race, Races. ends up being Tommy's funeral. And it is so affecting because Tommy's family, the Fox, keep to the old religion, like the old ways. So the it's not a bury you in the ground funeral. It's a funeral pyre. Um, and, and the horse is, uh, Sean brings him back to the sea, right? And he's released. And like that... It was really cool. And then there's a part where um, Tommy's father talks to Puck about like, 
I understand you're doing this, but it's not right. This is a religious thing. We why it, this isn't just about money. This or, is about us and the the, horses. the horses and the sea. Um, and again, it was such a great world building detail, and it also brings such weight to the races that like this isn't just a random thing for them. There is meaning in these races for these people who live on this like very windswept, rocky, one assumes hard yeah. life. Yeah. And it's, it's beautiful because he makes the point, like if you just race with a normal horse and you win, it, it makes all of this like my son dying instead of it being for this big religious, like mythical thing. He, he just died because of a race that happens to be, have some carnivorous horses and it's sad. And she knows that his dad's not trying to be like a dick or anything, but like, it's just such a great scene afterwards. Um, Sean is trying to look for her because he comes to the funeral and he has stuff that he has to do. This this guy's so busy and he's like, I should leave. But he's like, I can't come here knowing that Puck was here and not see her. And it's not like he's like, I must see her. He's just like, I, I, I got to go find her. And it's just sweet. And he's asking around for her. And then eventually he's like, okay, if I was Puck, where would I be? And he goes up to the like, like this like top of a sand dune, like cliff thingy. And she's sitting there and they end up like, just sitting and talking uh, about everything, the race, the things that have happened, you know, he had told her the day before or like a couple days ago that she had an actual chance because the rest of the capitals are going to try and get back into the ocean or fight with each other. And if Dove just goes straight, she has a legitimate chance to win. And while she was kind of disbelieving at first and then happy, she also knows that if she wins, that means Sean can't buy core. Uh, and so it's this bittersweet moment where they both need this money for important high stake things for them personally, but they both can't win. And then the day of the beach, he said, I don't, I don't know what to wish for because that the mayor goddess gave him that wish. And she said, uh, wish for happiness. And he's like, that's kind of ephemeral on this. <laughs> and she's like, uh, wish for it. We both win and we rule as king and queen of the Scorpio races. And um, you get core and go live in your house. And I uh, have dove and keep my house. And like, we get to see each other and they kiss and it's so beautiful and sweet. And it's such a touching moment. And he wishes just for the things he needs. And it's such a simple baby of a wish, you it's know? It's so cute. It's so cute. And it's such a gorgeous scene for the two of them. Uh, and then the next day is race day. And uh, it's super stressful. People are everywhere. I forgot to mention, there's this guy named George Hawley, who's <laughs> an American. Uh, I love him. I like his character. Uh, he has a weird side plot where him and Annie Maud like had sex and he kind of wants to marry her. And the Maud sisters are like, be nice to him, Puck. It's super. And he's also really nice to Finn, which is what won me over to George. Yeah. Hawley. And Finn and him kind of become friends despite him being like a rich California person. Um, and it gets you, it gets good dividends in terms of Finn's character and understanding him more. Um, but like, he actually isn't necessary to this recap, No, but he's, he's a good character. So. And also um, I liked the way the voice actor did an American accent. It was very strange. Um, but anyway, uh, so the day of the race comes, she's going down with Dove. People are like pressing up against her and like Dove's getting really spooked. And she's like, I cannot have people like getting Dove so overworked that she doesn't run correctly. And so 
uh, Sean comes out and is like helping her get people to back off. And um, she's like, can you take uh, Dove down uh, for me? Because he tells her where to go get her colors, which is on the beach. Um, and before she leaves, oh God, it's so fucking cute. I, uh, I'm such a, <laughs> I'm such shipper trash. Um, he goes, wait a second. And he takes her hand and he puts this um, little like uh, tie of red string on it. And he kisses her wrist. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna keep the camera on Maria because her reaction is my reaction, <sighs> but more a few. Oh my god, it's so good! And then she, she was like, "What's that?" And he was like, "For luck." And then he goes to like go away, and then she she, she says, "Sean," in she this crowd of people, in, like there are people all over, like just and like there was reporters who were also like taking pictures and being annoying and freaking her out. And so he goes to like leave and she goes, Sean, and she like grabs his face and kisses him. And there's like whoops and hollering in the crowd. And I'm like, fuck yeah, this is me. I'm like, yeah, I bet on that. Um, and it's just so cute. And she's like for luck as well. And then they like separate and like he gets dove, like, cause people just give him like wide space. Nobody's fucking crowding him when he has dove. And it's so cute. And I hit it. Um, so uh, angry otter, ahoy, shippers. Uh, mm -hmm. Holly is the extra uh, extrovert that adopts the introvert a hundred percent. Um, such shipping feels it's so ship. Oh, god, I fucking loved this anyway. Um, she goes to get her colors and they're on the beach with this little stall with a bunch of different colors, and they're like, There's none left for you, even though they have a giant stack. And she's like, Really, guys, you're not gonna give me colors? And they're they just start talking to each other about the weather and like garbage things, and they just ignore her. And then she starts walking away, like kind of pissed. And Gabe comes and is like, they won't give you colors. And he was like, that's fucked up. Because earlier that day, like that morning, Gabe was like, don't do this. Please don't race. And she was like, I have to do this. And then she says to him, don't leave. And he's like, I have to. And she's like, well, there you go, buddy. And it's this great moment because somebody said earlier, one of the best things in this book is her coming to terms with the fact that Gabe has to do what is best for his own life. And that his ability to lead a, high, a life that makes him happy um, me, might mean that it separates them and her coming to terms with that. And so, like, they both look at each other and are like, we both don't want the other to do this thing that we both feel we have to do. And it's a, it's a great moment at the start. But anyway, he's on the and he was like, how dare they not give you colors? I'll go talk to them. And they won't. So uh, she's getting ready before the race. And Peggy... Bratton comes uh and uh she's got her like Scorpio race bird costume like when she was the bird lady cape and she's taking the headpiece off and she gives it to um uh Dove? Puck to okay. put on Dove to use as her colors because she didn't have colors otherwise uh, and it's this really nice moment because throughout the scene, like it, the book started with Peggy Gratton being like nah 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 don't race this is dumb to Peggy Gratton being like do it show them what you're made of and don't let anyone help you with your horse or you're like setting up everything the day of the um race and there's a moment where she thinks about it earlier when uh she asks sean to take dove down and she's like ah sean doesn't count um and uh it's such a it's just so cute anyway and then the race, the race. happens and the race as a scene i'm not going to go into too much detail because it is Fantastic. You should just read it. Nerve wracking. It is nerve fantastic and nerve wracking. And it's, uh, man, there was so much tension building towards it. And the thing is the whole book has been 
building toward it and ratcheting up the tension and showing just how dangerous the Kappa Ishka are and the the weight of what's going to happen um, afterwards in terms of what it means for the characters. Yeah. Um, and so what happens essentially is that she wins um, and um, there Sean... Was this, yeah, they, they managed to stick to their plan besides, right. even though they couldn't talk to each other, but Mutt Malvern at the start of the race before it starts, basically tells Sean, I know what you care about. And he realizes Mutt's going to go after Puck. So not only like, like he has to race, he has to like win, but he also has to keep Puck alive. And during the race, there's this point where uh, Puck and Sean are finally next to each other after like a bunch of like shit happening. Literally a guy's capel just goes into the ocean and then bites a chunk of his cheek off. Like it's, it's gruesome. But anyway, they're, they're finally next to each other. And Mutt Malvern, who's in third place, drops back to start fucking with them um, and to try get at uh, Puck. But uh, Sean uses Core to separate them and basically tells her, fucking go. Uh, she ends up winning. It's fantastic. But Mutt has decided he was never in this to win. He's just going to fuck up Sean. He literally, like, cuts his Kapalishka to make her really angry to attack Kor and Sean. Um, and then you, you get left with that as a scene. Uh, Puck wins and she, people are like, Woohoo, Puck, oh my God, what a great thing, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, where the fuck is all the other racers come? And she doesn't see Kor and Sean. And she's like, where the fuck are well, they? Well, and what had happened is the last that we'd heard of Sean is that he he had fallen off of Kor. Kor. And he's like, this is exactly what happened to my father. If I roll, maybe I can not get ground into a pace by all the horses going by. Mm -hmm. And then, so she sees him. and He runs happens, back down the beach. Yeah, and she sees him, and Kor is standing over him. And the thing is, Kor had stopped and saved him. And, and this moment is just, it, it was such an unexpected moment for me in that, like, this is not what I expected to happen at all. But it's a moment where you realize that core loves him as much as he loves core that he wasn't going to run. He, he doesn't care. He, he, he needed to protect, um, Sean. And I just, and, I loved it so much. And he also, cause core also could have just bolted into the ocean, like mm -hmm. piece him out, you know, but he stays and she, there's this moment as she comes up to him and she sees what she originally thought was just like a reflection, but it's Sean bloody under it, like kind of at the, lip of the water uh, and she realizes in that moment that she this is the thing that she cannot stand because earlier when Gabe was like I cannot yeah. stand being here I can't I can't handle it she was like you can handle anything if you put your mind to it uh, and then she sees Sean and she thinks he's dead and she realizes in that moment she cannot handle if he is dead that is the mm -hmm. thing that is her line in the sand and he ends up being alive and as he comes to he kind of looks and he goes Core stayed he's I would have died if he hadn't stayed, but then they both realize Core's leg is broken and Core will never race again. Um, and it's the, the book finishes really quickly, but I want to comment on something that I think is very, very, very um, uh, significant, which is uh, Pearl says, I felt Scarter was a little underutilized in that scene. Scarter was not adequately like she, she was built up. She's so much. Bold. Yes, the, the white piebald that Mutt raced on. Uh, and it was built up so much, and it felt like such a quick... Mm -hmm. And, like, I was expecting a terrifying moment with her by the end. And it wasn't. It was, like, Mutt kind of, like, almost slits her throat. 
and and then she like panics into them. You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't her being like this vicious thing that I wanted to see her rip them. something apart. Yeah, exactly. And so I do agree. It felt like such a a weird um like underutilization. Of, like a, a Chekhov's gun that didn't quite go off. Exactly. Uh, but, but um, after she does. The, she does drag Mutt into the ocean with her. So Mutt's dead. You know, sucks to suck, Mutt. <laughs> and so what happens after this is that um, you know, she has her money. Uh, Puck has her money. They're but walking she back from winning. They're walking back with Finn, and Burn like him. she's like, you know, Finn's like, why don't we just buy core for him? We have the money. And she's like, we don't. We only have enough money really to keep our house. And he's like, what about all this money? And he gives her a bunch of money. And she's like, where did you get this? And he's like, the odds on you are one to 45. And you realize that he had like uh, bet. bet it. The, their like, last of their money. Yeah, like the little bit in the jar. And they have enough money now. And it's such a great like, uh, Finn came through. Like it's, <laughs> it's like, that is a Chekhov's gun that went off. And it's a nice callback because earlier she had asked him about selling the Morris, which was the car that he loved and he worked on. And he ends up selling it so they can buy better food for Dove. And again, it's a moment where he suddenly he's eating like November cakes, which are these like sticky honey cakes. And she's like, where did you get the money for that? And he pulls out a wad of cash and he's like, I sold the Morris. And so it's this nice Chekhov's gun that goes Uh off. And he's so proud because like, and once he puts the money back in his pocket, he starts walking ahead of her. And she's like, and now his walk had a strut to it. He was like, ah, because he was like, Dory Maud said you were a good bet. And it's just so fucking yeah, it's a great moment. Cute. I love it so much. Anyway, the, the next. Yeah, we get mm-hmm. to the last moment. Uh, well, not the last moment. No, she no, then no. Um, uh, goes up to the rich guy. I'm already blanking on his name. And is like, and I want these three things. And there's a sense of growth where like she interrupts him and asks for tea in the way that he had interrupted her earlier in the book. And you really get a sense for her growth as like she has come into her own now. Mm-hmm. And like she has been able to use all these things that were before she might not have had quite like the steeliness for it. But she gets core for Sean. And then the last scene is Sean leading Core in, um, into the to the ocean spray ocean. because he's he's like you know they could fix his leg in California but he's never really going to run again and so he's like you know and go he makes he makes the comment that Core loved to race and loves the ocean and as long as Sean could give Core one of those things their relationship worked but now he can't. And he can't go with him into the ocean. And, it, and like, in the ocean, he'll actually be able to be kind of more mobile again because his leg will be like less. The of a weight problem. will be uh, taken off. And uh, George Hawley calls him an idiot for buying Core to just release him into the ocean. And it's a nice callback to him releasing Tommy Fox, uh, water horse, uh, into the ocean earlier, who just went. Mm-hmm. And you're just so sad because everything that Sean wanted depended on Core. Um, and now he is making the choice that he thinks is the best for core. And like, there's a part where he, like, he finally like takes the lead off of core and, and he calls, there's a nice call back to the moment where he first, he said, I lead core down the beach, uh, with just a, a lead similarly to how I took him out of it. Mm-hmm. And he turns cause he can't actually like, he, he says into core's ear, be ha- find happiness because he he like he talks into Core's ear and tells him what he needs to hear all the time, um, and he turns because he can't watch Core go in, um, and he starts walking and he sees like Puck acting like Correct. she's got something in her eye, <laughs> um, and uh, then he hears Core crying and keening for him, and he turns around and Core is looking back. Oh God, I'm gonna fucking cry. Uh, he sees yeah, Core. Chill. He sees Core looking back at him and calling, like, 
come with me. I, like, you're, what are you doing? And he's like, I can't, I can't go with him, even mm-hmm. though he wants me to. And then I, uh, Cor turns around and starts walking back, taking labored step after labored step. And he, there's a point where he says like the, the November sea was a jewel behind him calling both of us that he came back to me and I was just, cause you have to understand, I'm going to make an argument that this isn't the way the book should end. Yeah, me too. But, but it's not, God, I'm like it's what I now. wanted. It's what oh. the little shitty fanfic trash. And I'm not actually fan, but like, it's what I want. I mm-hmm. want him to stay with corn and I want them to, I want corn dove to have babies and I want them to live like, and have a cute little life and corn to be happy. Like, Oh my oh. God. So yeah, it just, it's, and that's how the book ends. Though I will make the argument, the audiobook needed to not start so, the music so three, damn quickly. Three problems. Three problems with this. First, in the audiobook, this dumbass music starts like uh, uh, towards the end, and like you're like, wait, you're you. First of all, your attention is now not on the words up until this point. The music doesn't quite match. It's like a little too cheerful, and so like I actually can't quite visualize the scene correctly. Um, the other problem is that, and I'll talk about this a little bit more. The book has a very staccato feel to how chapters end and how the the prose are in general, and so sliding in from the end of the book to the narration it, like it needed to have that sudden cut to really have the power that it really needed and then you can talk about our other issue yeah uh and so shelby says the music was so loud it was it i was. struggled to, i struggled just to hear what the, i was like wait did, did he say i had to rewind it because i was like did he say cork walked back to him like yeah. what like, oh my god you know and i had to rewind it um but here's the thing the book itself had the moment where you realize, because the, the thing that this ending does has already been done earlier. And this is what it is. It establishes to Sean that Core loves him as much as he loves Core, which was something he didn't believe. He knew Core trusted him. Mm-hmm. He knew that Core respected him. But throughout the entire book, he never presumes that Core loves him or is that he is as important to Core as Core is to him. And he we was- as the reader don't either. Like I, I never got like I was just like, yeah, no, he's a water horse, but the idea that he loves Sean, you don't quite get. Um and it is such a fantastic moment in realizing because like the entire time you're like yeah no of course core is just this like it, it, sean always treats him like a kapalishka like he never mm-hmm. gets too familiar he never despite the massive amount of love he never it's like um people who have wolf dogs um uh and stuff they often will start treating them too much like a dog less like a wolf yeah uh, and that's when problems you happen. forget the and, danger and sean is always acutely aware um that he is a Kapalishka, you know, that, that this is who Kor is. Like when Kor rips out uh, David Prince's throat, he's like, well, Kapalishka, you know? <laughs> um, and, and so, but the moment that does this previously is when Sean realizes that Kor could have run into the ocean, but he chose to stay over him so nobody would trample and him to death. And protect him against the other horses. And he protected him. Um and so you have it happening kind of twice, uh, where I think for the actual book, because the whole idea is that the Kapil Ishka are this personification of they the ocean. They are the sea. Yeah. And they belong to the sea. They are wild and beautiful of the sea. And it's kind of like in uh, Free Willy, where like for free, for like 
Willie's benefit, he's got to go back into the sea. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I love the ending for my ship of heart, where in in my head, the book actually ends with Core going into the ocean, but then I went and I found a fan fiction where Core yeah. doesn't go into the ocean, and then everything I want the book to look like, which you would now assume is how it would actually play out, is what happens. Um, and And so I that's kind of what it's I the wanted thing where like this is what I wanted but sometimes books need to give you what you need and not what you want and like mm-hmm. that's kind of the thing is that like the other moment was so powerful and so much more unexpected than this decision of like was you going to go into the ocean or not the, the thing is I went in and uh Pearl said this as well I actually thought Cor was going to walk into the sea at the end and that the book uh and that would be the end of the book didn't expect Cor to return to land and I didn't either it was actually very surprising I went into the mm-hmm. end and being like this is how it's gonna go um and and so oh also uh celia makes a good um i will make the same argument here as in the discord if core had left it would have drawn a great parallel with gabe core needed to go because he does not belong on the island yeah Yeah, that's true thematically it would have been really interesting um so and then uh angry otter says instead of a parallel it's a contrast which is good too um and then earlier angry otter had said um at the race course days but at the end sean is showing core that he would let him go and that he's not property uh and so i guess him choosing to stay that was like really the only part that gave me like horse story vibes really like the rest of the book is actually not very horse story but like this is sort of a classic horse like you know well the the, the horse is wild but will it stay will it not kind of a thing mm-hmm. um so i i liked the ending but like uh, it, it could have been a better ending <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean like it, like maria said i would have loved for the, the ending to be more bittersweet and then to go read the fanfic of where he stayed that's yeah. like a seven thousand word or seventy thousand word slow burn <laughs> about just slice yeah. of life stuff uh pearl says i wonder if the author just flipped a coin at the end for 50 50 corkos and <laughs> um and it kind of has that vibe where like you're not really sure about uh, how it was gonna play out. Um, I loved it. There are things like I think uh, Gabe could have been developed a bit more. I think Mutt Malvern could have been way more humanized while also being a shit person. Um, the will they won't they Annie George Holly I think was a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, oh Jesse says. Um, I would have loved a Hildalgo ending where the injured horse looks back and yeah. runs to freedom. That's what I thought it was. That's what I thought we were going to. Or like um, he nibbles Sean's ear or something to show that he loves him, but he needs to go. go. Like, yeah, that's that's kind of the correct ending. Or like, like if he if he would have turned back, went up to Sean, put his like head mm-hmm. on his shoulder, yeah, yeah. and then been like, okay, goodbye, and then went into the ocean, which I, I would have sobbed like a fucking baby, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, but... yeah Yeah. so there are things the ending i do feel came now part of this like will said is the chapters in this are very staccato some chapters are very short uh and lead into another very short chapter that have like a kind of so i wanted to talk about this and never got the time because it's about a song of ice and fire take a shot is that um i've always made the point that in those books the chapters are short stories essentially with like a begin like a specific arc and that you need that in a book where you're going to be away from a character for like 
10 chapters before you get back to them or which is like 10 hours of reading time or whatever. So they need to be self-contained in that way and kind of siloed a little bit. Whereas in this book, this book ends, often the chapters will be very staccato. They'll just end and you'll immediately cut to Puck or Sean, uh, whichever one you weren't at. And like, that's actually really effective for moving the plot quickly without feeling like you're missing scenes or hurrying through the book. Um, and again, that ending should be a staccato stop. And instead it's like blah, 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 music, which was not... Yeah great um yeah and there's not a lot of falling action at all yeah which i was okay with not having the falling action given the way this book has been written i was expecting it not to have falling action um i again i like the ending i saw like a baby going to work and i specifically tried not to cry because everybody was like yo that ending's gonna get you so i specifically listened to the book in 20 minutes like once i knew i was in the last <laughs> hour i listened to it 20 minutes at a time walked walked away from it, come back, walked away from it uh, in the hopes that it would break the tension and the buildup. Um, and uh, I still cried. And cause that's the angry otter said, I mean, I was already crying before core came back and I was crying. Like, as I realized they were on the beach and he was giving core back to the ocean. I was like, <laughs> me, me, me. like just absolute flipping um, tears. And I think either, either ending him going to the ocean, him not going into the ocean would have had readers crying, especially with the way this writer writes. And there's a lack of sentimentality that lends sentimentality at mm -hmm. the same time. It reminds um, me a lot of Sabriel in terms of that and the, the tightness of the story where there just isn't oh, a lot God. of extraneous material. I just finished a Porson last night and I also cried at the end of that book, which I, I knew what was coming because I've read the book before and I cried as a young girl and it did not like, oh God, I sobbed so hard. If any of you want to read a really satisfying, uh, like, oh God, just please read it. It's so good. We need some of Porson love guys. Uh, anyway. Really quickly, um, Jesse Lost Your Pen had written uh, something longer on the Discord she wanted us to read. So um, uh, if you want to do the reading, because... Okay. I'm not. You read better than I do. <laughs> All my thoughts summarized about the Scorpio races is this. The story wasn't told to be a literary classic or a revolutionary manifesto. There was a story a writer was in love with and she wanted others to enjoy. Uh, the overarching achievement of the story is that while it's not perfect, it isn't any bigger than it needs to be. Instead of a massive, complex political scandal, we have a girl who will do anything to keep the remains of her family together and a boy who wants freedom from a controlling boss. These are simple things many people can connect to. Another thing I would label as an achievement is that Maggie uh, Stifater... Stifater. Defater uh, understands that the characters in the story don't always fit into binary a binary of good or evil. Not everyone who opposes Puck is a villain. For example, Tommy's father. Even if a reader might may not agree with the reasoning of every person who questions Puck's actions, sometimes the motivation behind their disagreement is something a reader can sympathize with. I feel so many stories we've been reading uh, in book club miss, can miss that crucial bit of nuance. I love this book. May not. Uh, agree with 100% of the choices made in the writing, but it is a story I want to read again. And honestly, Jesse, I think that's a beautiful way to summarize this. I think you're 100% right. Yeah, I think that's right. a great, that's a great conclusion, honestly, because I agree with all of that. This book wasn't trying to like make grand statements about something. It was telling and, a story. And it's that... so much more powerful for that. And for dialing, I've said before, if authors just dialed back some, especially I've mentioned like how much they like characters or how much they like mm -hmm. the romance, it would be more powerful. And this book does that. Um, it was, and we're definitely reading more of her in the yes. future, guys. 
It was honestly one of my favorite. It was one of the easiest, comfortable, good reading experiences I've had for this podcast in such a long time. <laughs> it was just not work. I read it very quickly yeah. and it was just delightful. Is it perfect? No, but it just, it's doing what it's trying to do really well. It's so much more masterful than so many of the other books we've read. Like you compare yep. this to something like These Violent Delights, which is just a mess of a novel where the yeah. author doesn't know what they're doing. And in this book, they do know what they're doing. And yeah. she fits all those pieces really well together. Beautifully. Angry Otter says, I'm going to buy it. Uh, Maggie S. can have my money. I also am probably, I loved it enough that I would like it on my bookshelf. Like I have books that I don't love that much on my bookshelf, but I want that guy on my bookshelf, you know? I know. I always look very critically at your bookshelf behind you and the books you have on there. Um, Some of them I haven't read. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Cause you have a song of ice and fire on there. Yep. Um, so it, yeah, guys listening, uh, later to this in the comments, let us know, have you read any of Maggie Seifetter's books? And are we pronouncing it even close to correct? Uh, one of Katie's friends that I met over the weekend, like could actually pronounce it correctly. And so I tried to remember how to do it and I didn't, I don't think, um, which other books of hers would you suggest we read next? I was looking at shiver, which somebody said was like monster boyfriend adjacent. Um, which could be good. And, you know, me and Maria are both monster boyfriend trash. Um, but yeah, let us know. Yeah. Uh, this was great. Thank you guys for a part of the reason why we ended up doing this is because when it got nominated last month, uh, so many people were more interested in this than uh, the Trader Baru Carmont that uh, they started reading it and they were enjoying it so much that me and Will were like, screw it, let's read it. Let's do it as our mid-month book. And I am so glad that that happened mm -hmm. because it has just been such an enjoyable read. It was a delight to watch people in our Discord legitimately enjoying it um, and and engaging with it. Oh. So very quickly, Kian says, I didn't read it and join late. Based on what I heard, I'm guessing this is a dark retelling of Seabiscuit. No, but also, yes, that would be very funny. <laughs> I've never seen Seabiscuit. But, yeah, so. but I, so I don't know, but. It would know. be funny. It would be funny if it was. It was so good. All right. Uh, thanks for watching, guys. We love you, our parasocial darlings. Goodbye. Mwah.